Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. In the latest of our single format, one platform specials, we're going to be talking about Nintendo GameCube. Joining me, Leon Cox, in the show are Brian Edwards. Hello, hello. I've put Brain on the show notes again. Ah, I, think, it. It I think it might be autocorrect, you know. I'm going to say. Anyway. And Darren Gargett. Uh, biddly, biddly, Bob. Chunt. Mm. Chunt. We <laughs> were debating, listener, before we started, how to, what the onomatopoeia is for the, for the, the startup sound of the GameCube. Perhaps we'll come back to that when we talk about the, uh, the secret options. I bet there are some people listening to this who still don't know. Do you <laughs> think? Maybe. Who knows? But let's start, as always, with our histories with the console. I should say the reason we've come quite quickly back to a Nintendo machine is uh, so it was only two of these shows ago that we covered the N64. Essentially, the GameCube just turned 20. So it's an anniversary and we thought we should mark it. And also, the more consoles we cover, the, the fewer there are left to do. And this is one of them. So here we are. GameCube, Darren. 2000 it's 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 2001 say or 2000 2001 Mm. the dolphin is in the n64 magazines you're still a mega mega n64 fan at this point right clinging on yes yeah (laughs) you're buying all the late releases and oh tony hawks three yeah i'm all over that conquer conquer's come out it's 60 quid but you don't care yeah i remember saving up my lunch money for that bad boy um (laughs) yeah yeah honestly like the the gamecube fever was off the charts for me as a as a self-professed you know love for the n64 the gamecube coming next was just like i couldn't believe what was going to happen what may happen what has happened and all of it was just probably the 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 most excited i've ever been for video games in terms of news and e3 and space world and just what the potential was for these sequels because the n64 had impressed me you know beyond belief and at this point rare was still with nintendo so i was like what are they gonna do and I, I honestly, I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw the Space World footage from 2000. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think I mentioned before in the N64 pod, but if you didn't hear that one, I remember pushing a shopping trolley home with my friends, Aaron and Ricky. One of them had a, bought a PC and we were pushing it home because, you know, what else are you going to carry in? Because we haven't got a car because we're <laughs> like 15 at this time. Yes. And I get a phone call from my mum saying, I just got a package through. It says the word GameCube on it or <laughs> something like that. And I was just like, okay, I was not expecting that to drop through the door within like a week because it was a modified american one to play japanese games mm. so it must have been around november ish but it was like very quick on the heels of november i wasn't expecting it to be like here straight away mm. um yeah but before that i've been thinking about it today uh, i used to work in the local independent shops in lake buzzard as i've said many many times and there was a guy I used to work for called pete butterfield and he had everything like he had the latest consoles the latest this the latest that and I went around his house. It was quite strange at the time because I must have been like 14, 15. And he was 35, I'm guessing, maybe oh, 30. Yeah. And he invited me around his house. And in retrospect, it's kind of a bit dodgy. But um, he had a family and a wife Different and a child. Different world then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah he, was, was, he wasn't the strange yeah. <laughs> loner. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just with my face plastered around his wall like an Alan Partridge. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then I, yeah, I got to his house. And he's got this big, giant telly on the right-hand side as you walk into his front room. And he had, his kid was playing monkey ball. And I was just like, I, th- this is just the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Like the, the music, the whole thing was in front of me on this giant, I assume it was a plasma at the time, but it could have been a CRT. It was the biggest telly I've ever seen. Like I say, he had everything. He had the latest 
bikes he was well into his bikes and he was always chopping and trading them and he was always swapping things out for new things and he was one of those kind of like modern day del boy types you know what i mean he always had the latest but he was always kind of really skint at the same time it was it was a, he was a very strange man if he was a del boy um, type he'd have had a gamecube that played xbox games or something <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he probably did i don't know what he was up to he, was, he seemed to know everyone and at that time as well there was like I said before on another podcast, we had like a various um, hardware companies around here called LDA and they were part of Joytech. And he knew those people who were like distributors of consoles and games and mm. peripherals. And it was all just kind of like a big kind of spider's web of people. So he obviously knew people who knew people who could get stuff and he was just on it. So I remember playing Monkey Ball for the very first time at his house, thinking it was one of the best things I've ever played. And lo and behold, 20 years later, I'm still absolutely rubbing my thighs over that game. Um so yeah, uh, I got my modded GameCube with Monkey Ball and Luigi's Mansion. And uh, yeah, I mean, the rest goes from there, really. It was kind of, it it completely took me by surprise how quickly it got from my door. And yeah. I I carried that thing around, not literally by the handle, but I carried it around to Coventry because this is about this time I was getting into chatting with people on IRC, with the, the rare net guys who eventually ended up you know getting me a job at rare so like chris alcock who who's just really um he's, he's authored the latest sea of thieves book you know he, yeah he, he tweeted me the other day saying oh monkey ball's back there's men do you remember this and i was like yeah man I got do so i many, yeah got so <laughs> many memories of playing monkey ball around his house and like trick shotting off all the walls and stuff and it was just like yeah like the gamecube for me is um is a, is a goosebumpy ride and uh yeah I, I, I still adore it wonderful Brian, do you have similarly strong memories of early GameCube times? Uh, I mean, yes and no. I mine um, is definitely more tied to a like a little bit later stage in my life. I'm, I'm realizing now that I'm probably just a few years older than Darren, not yeah. by much, but mm-hmm. uh, I was a freshman in college uh, when the GameCube came out, and for me that was a huge deal. Not just because being in college and that life changed, but because I grew up in the rural part of New York State where we did not have internet. And then I, all of a sudden I was on a college campus, which had uh network net, you know what I mean? Ethernet ports. I had to, I, I went, I got to my college with my fancy new computer and had the IT guy show up and, and told me that my, uh, my, you know, my, my modem port wasn't big enough. I was so confused. I had to go buy an ethernet cord. <laughs> That's an awful thing to say part. to a young man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I, yeah, I was learning all sorts of different things about, um, about technology and, and other things, but <laughs> how that really changed is that, um. Uh, I had access to very good internet, so and all the free time in the world because I was a college student. So I was just reading everything online about the GameCube leading up to his launch, um, and actually watching videos of video games on my computer. <laughs> like it was like this mind blowing thing seeing these, you know, the the obviously the Mario One Twenty Eight showcase, and then um, you know, you know, seeing like footage of not just Monkey Ball but the new Rogue Squadron and then Luigi's Mansion, like all these things leading up to the release and. Um, really got me super hyped for it to the point where I must have talked enough about it and not shut up enough about it that um, that Christmas I ended up with a GameCube under uh, the Christmas tree uh, with Luigi's Mansion and Wave Race. Beautiful. And uh, yeah, it was one of those things that I just like instantly took to. It, it, it was the first time, and, I, and looking back at it, I'm probably history's probably clouding this, but it was where Nintendo, Nintendo kind of separated itself from other consoles in in my mind Nintendo was always the apex that's what I had growing up I had an NES I had a Super Nintendo and I had a Nintendo 64 but then by the time the GameCube kept, you 
as a college student, you know, it's like there was the PlayStation 2 and these high res, these high fidelity, very realistic and big quotes graphics. And Nintendo kind of took the off ramp. I was like, no, we're still going to do our Nintendo thing. And that just always intrigued me more than the other side of video games, um, especially at that time. So, um, so yeah, I was all in on the GameCube from day one. Um, and uh, yeah, so I got Luigi's Mansion and Wave Race and I... I Got back to college and had a couple of roommates who we went in on some games like Super Monkey Ball and um, and it just kind of went from there. And then my history with the GameCube, much like Darren, just kind of took off from that launch time to where it didn't matter what, even if it wasn't the best version of a game, I'm not even sure if I was aware of it at the time, but if, yeah. if the game came out for the GameCube, that's the system I wanted to be playing the game on. Mm. Fair enough. And as Darren has it, We've just held the Z button down on the fourth controller because latterly we've been joined by another GameCube fan. We also need to hear from Mikhail. Welcome. Yeah, I heard you guys were talking about the Nintendo GameCube, so I just Your alarm decided went to uh, spontaneously, <laughs> <Yeah>. spontaneously <laughs> jump in. The bat signal. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, in the shape of a GameCube controller. Exactly. So here you are. Uh, we've gone back in time. We thought about where we were at Nintendo-wise, in, say, the year 2000, 2001, as the Dolphin hype was growing. Yeah. The N64 was starting to fade away, although we still loved it dearly. Where were you at with this, and uh, when did you adopt the GameCube? I know sometimes you're not an early adopter uh, compared to a lot of us on the Kane and Rinse crew, but maybe with GameCube you were? I don't know. I was, yeah, because um, right. I remember very vividly... Uh, uh, just exactly what you were talking about. The N64 was dwindling down. I didn't buy another system in the meantime. Um, and yeah, I was playing Paper Mario, the first one on the on the Nintendo 64, uh, until it was launch day for the GameCube. And I remember that I bought it at the old toy store that we used to buy a lot of our Nintendo games at. Uh, but it came in during the day while I was at work. So my brother, uh, who didn't have work at the time, uh, went to pick it up and he was uh, phoning me in the daytime. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. I'm playing Wave Race, Blue Storm. I'm playing Luigi's Mansion. It's really cool. So I, I was at work and I couldn't wait to uh, get on the bus and go home. And that, that moment of time, that moment of my life, a period of my life, I was working uh, quite far away um, from where I lived. So it was like one and a half hour of... Uh, yeah, travel time on a bus, mm. just from one, you know, going there and coming back again, one and a half hours. So yeah, it, uh, that was an ex- extremely long bus ride before I got home. Yeah, uh, we've been there. Yeah, and I don't recall, I think I got three games, I think, or maybe I got those two games and then I quickly bought, maybe the same day or the day after, day after uh, I bought uh, Star Wars Rogue Leader. Yes as well and then mm-hmm. later a couple of my friends bought games as well and one of my friends bought super monkey ball and i wasn't too uh, i was a little bit skeptical about it it looked fun but it also looked a little bit uh i don't know not not the, the graphics at first i didn't look like something uh deserving of the gamecube um but then <laughs> you know when i saw it when i played it I with, uh, with my friend I thought, like, hey, you know, I was wrong. I need to get me this game as fast as possible as well. So, yeah, it was my... This was actually the first time that I didn't sell off my old system to buy a new one. 
Right. Uh, so I still had the uh, M64, uh, but yeah, this was now the main system, and uh, yeah, I bought a, a whole bunch of games for it. We'll talk about the games later, as always, in these console specials. My history, well, I was, uh, what was I? Coming up for 30 when the GameCube landed in power. Obviously, I was already a kind of industry and gaming obsessive by this point, as listeners to this podcast will know. Uh, I'd bought the N64 on launch day at midnight back in 97. I bought a couple of machines uh, in between those times as well, but not necessarily at launch. But GameCube was another one that I really wanted to have on day one. I'd seen all the screenshots. I think some of the the promotional shots for things like Luigi's Mansion and, and Rogue Leader were a level of graphics that even, I don't know, that, yeah, they, they, they looked in some ways to be offering beyond maybe they were just carefully selected shots because actually if you compare a lot of gamecube games to ps2 games that were on the same systems there's not much difference or even in some cases the ps2 version would have been superior but with some of the first party and second party stuff we know how nintendo is able to get so much juice out of their their relatively underpowered boxes and whatever so yeah i just the, the gamecube was of course a more powerful system than the playstation 2 (laughs) <laughs> okay is that is that science fact yeah yeah if you put all the uh stats and the specifications side by side definitely okay yeah and maybe maybe as as is traditional because it was a less well uh, a, a less commercially successful machine a lot of multi-format developers maybe wouldn't have put in the the, the same level of resource but also of course the smaller of course disc the different, yeah the smaller disc I was yeah say. exactly okay yeah. uh all fair enough but yes uh i was suitably excited uh i'd loved wave race 64 so seeing wave race blue storm as a launch game and just seeing how amazing it looked and rogue leader as a star wars fan just looks sumptuous i'd heard all about how monkey ball was such a such a cool sega game like after obviously i was one of those sega fans who was a bit sad seeing them moving out of the console space but i was happy that they were making games for other consoles and this seemed to be a perfect fit monkey ball on a on a Nintendo system, turns out it absolutely was. Uh, and yeah, bought it midnight, launch day, bought four games with it, an unprecedented amount, uh, all four key launch games as far as I was concerned, Luigi's Mansion, Wave Race, Star Wars, and... Uh, Donald Duck Quack Attack. Donald Duck Quack Attack, <laughs> exactly. Uh, what, which ones did I say? Oh, Luigi's Mansion. Universal Studios. Universe, that stop it. <laughs> I bought the four good ones. Anyway, we'll come on to the games later. And yeah, it was uh, it was a cool time. Yeah, I already had already had my um, PS2, already had my Xbox, but it was the one. Did I? No, I got the Xbox after this. I tell a lie. But anyway, yes, it was part of the uh, the set for the sixth generation. And uh, yeah, I got plenty of use out of it. I still got the exact same machine sitting behind me. It still works. Built like a tank. And uh, yeah, happy times. Obviously made by Nintendo, don't even need to say more than that, and manufactured mainly by Nintendo with some support from Taiwanese multinational electronics contract manufacturer Foxconn. I'm not sure exactly which bits they provided, but they also, they've done bits with PS3, PS4, and the first Xbox as well. So they are very much experts in that field, I guess. as we say, the media is the 1.5 gigabyte mini disc, a little 
what's the exact size? There were you could get other CDs because like the CD trays on a PC would fit these discs as well. And in That's fact, right. you could yeah. you could put some GameCube games in a C, in a in a PC and get mm. some files off in the same way as Saturn games had, didn't didn't they? Yeah, but, I remember um, going to um, ECTS around this time, and they were giving yeah. out these little discs that had you know press kits on. And I was That's like, it. these are just GameCube sized discs, and you know, mm. it blew me away that there was other people doing this kind of size disc yeah. at the time. It always reminded me, uh, you know, um, um, of vinyl records like long players versus forty-five uh, right singles, forty-five yeah. singles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting decision. I'm not sure exactly why they went with it. Obviously, loading times, seek times were quicker. Yeah, but that it was did, a definite uh, yeah advantage. But on the downside, it meant that a number of games ended up with cut content compared to their format competitors which i don't think played a huge part in in the the relative failure of the machine but in terms of like for those of us who were i was in my 30s when i was playing on these three consoles and i had the choice of all three systems this was when digital foundry and things started to become a real part of of my consumer life because i was thinking right which version should i get you know which one has the best graphics and then if obviously if one version had a load of the soundtrack missing then I'm obviously not going to go for that version unless it offers massive upgrades in other areas. Do you think that was the the main reasoning? Because obviously it wasn't a lot cheaper. If not, it may have even been more expensive to go with I, the smaller discs. I think it was probably a consideration. And I also think uh, it's also probably just Nintendo being quirky. You know? <laughs> yeah. Was the, there... the GameCube might be the system that is, uh, let's say, the most uh, market uh, conformist that they had done in some um, ways yeah yeah i'd say yeah. but then you know let's make it at least a little bit quirky and nintendo like let's have these uh, cute little discs yeah were there concerns about piracy at that point with the dreamcast and that's with, a good um, point and yeah, i know dreamcast that, uh, got pirated to poop yes yeah, so i wonder if like maybe they just maybe if the mini discs were a little bit more expensive but not I mean, at that time, most of us, when I, when I was in college at the time, had some version of a CD burner or replicator right. pretty much at our fingertips. So maybe that was a concern. I'm yeah. not sure, though. That's just conjecture. No, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Does if you, I can't actually, I can't remember if I've even tried it. If can you not, you can't even fit a full size CD in the top of a GameCube, right? It doesn't fit. Literally, physically, doesn't uh, go go in. I don't know. No, I don't think I've ever no, tried. No, no, no. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. So. It wasn't, yeah. That that does make sense then. So you couldn't just whack a load of GameCube games on a uh, on a full size disc and and stick it in a a, a a chipped machine or whatever. Yeah, that does make sense. Um, even if you could buy the blank mini discs for your PC and burn to them, I don't know. I don't know if that was a thing. Anyway, uh, the CPU was a thirty two bit IBM Power PC, seven fifty CXE Gecko, running at four eight six megahertz the graphics card following the dolphin trend was an ati flipper 162 megahertz with three megabytes of embedded 1t sram uh, it was a stereo console but you could obviously use that for dolby pro logic 2 pseudo surround sound and it was released in japan in september september 14th 2001 Hence, it's just past its 20th anniversary. Arrived in North America a couple of months later, November 18th. 
Kasuga-san from our forum says, I was there on day one for the GameCube. I got up early on November 18th to drive to my local Best Buy in time for it to open, back in the days when you didn't have pre-orders and massive lines with people camping out for consoles. I managed to get my black system along with Super Monkey Ball and I believe Rogue Squadron 2. When I got back to my dorm room, I immediately set it up and my friends and I had a blast on Monkey Ball until my neighbour came in and tripped over the cord, killing one of the controller ports. Luckily, I had bought the service plan. And again, not being the way things are these days, Best Buy happened to have one left in stock when I took it back to be replaced. But it was a purple one. I still have that little purple block and all the fond memories it brought. I may have played my first Fire Emblem on the GBA, but Path of Radiance was where I truly fell in love with the series. Smash Brothers Melee was always on regular rotation, although Double Dash never reached the peaks of SNES and N64 Mario Karts for me. Metroid Prime still stands as one of my favourite first-person action exploration games. To name all the great games on that system would take too much time, and it's kind of disappointing that so many people I knew wrote it off as the kid console, considering games like Eternal Darkness and Resident Evil 4 were some of the best gaming experiences at the time, in my view. Wind Waker may have been one of the more controversial pivots Nintendo has made before release, and even I was sceptical. The second I fired that game up, all doubts washed away, as I probably played my favourite 3D Zelda until Breath of the Wild. I mean, there were so many great games on this console. Beautiful Joe, some of the surprisingly deep and fun Mario sports games, Soul Calibur 2, F-Zero GX, and more. Just talking about it makes me wish I had the extra time to hook it up and start playing some of those old games. The, um, the backlash for Zelda was uh, phenomenal, wasn't it? Because they showed off a realistic-looking... Link versus Ganondorf fighting in a temple. They did. And then Shiny they out this, this game that looked, to me, like, you know, staggering. But I was also a little bit disappointed that it wasn't, like, Ocarina of Time 2. Yes. But... Yeah, what do you mean? Uh, it's not, it's not a, it's on the water and it's a cartoon? Like, I was expecting, you know, well, I don't know what I was expecting. But I had that initial gut reaction, too, of, like, this isn't what I signed up for. And then mm. you play it and, like, God, this is so much fun. <laughs> but whatever. Yeah, for, for a console that was previously called the Dolphin, we... Then off getting a little tears over games that had so much water in them. It's like, oh, Mario Sunshine's <laughs> full of water, wave racing, they're not as good as the other one, and then you've got Zelda on the water too. It's like, yeah, because the console's called Dolphin. Like, I'm half expecting Dolphins to be in every single game at this point, you know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, it did. Um, but yeah, the the, the, controvers- the controversy for Zelda, I'll say it again, with, yeah. a, with a C, was, um, yeah, I haven't seen anything like it, I think. Maybe there has been some other hoo-hahs, but that one was kind of... This was pre-social media, of course, so it was a... It was a- it was a. I mean, we were on the, in the internet times, but it wasn't. It wasn't quite the same. It was, it was forums, like, forums mainly. Yeah. Yes. So it was a. It was a more contained sort of hoo ha. Yeah. It's like an internet stamp. You have to wait for it to come out. Yeah. And we could. <laughs> we could talk about. We'll probably. Uh, this is exactly what we said we weren't going to do. But um, the. Uh, I remember like thinking that when I saw the initial previews of Wind Waker and just being like, ah, I'm not sure if this is what I want, what I what I think I want out of Zelda. And then I happened to find myself at like a demo kiosk in the mall and I picked it up once, did one roll and saw those little wispy celsiated dust clouds behind me. I'm like, this is the best looking video game I've ever played. <laughs> so- I think a lot of people kind of were won over and, and history has been kind to that game. And uh, yeah, check out our, our Wind Waker podcast for more details on that and the uh, the HD version with quality of life improvements. Hmm. The EU GameCube arrived May 3rd, 2002. I lived at the time quite close to my nearest games emporium, the exact same shop that I'd bought my N64 from on midnight all those years before. 
and a few other midnight launches of various games and things like that. And uh, yeah, I still have memories of cramming all that gaming goodness, the new box into my backpack. And, and uh, yeah, it was literally just 10 minutes back up the hill to, to my house and uh, hooking it all up on my studio flat. I was living on my own at the time, I think. And uh, yeah, it was uh, yeah one of those cool times for sure. Uh, Australia uh, received the machine a couple of weeks later, May 17th, 2002. Launch prices, the console was cheaper than I think people were expecting and anticipating. The, they went in aggressive on this. In the uh, in Japanese money, it was 25,000 yen, which was uh, equivalent to 143 pounds. Uh, adjusted for inflation, that comes out as 164 pounds today, which still would you know put it as a cheap cheap console on the market. The US launch price was $199 because the exchange rate was uh, quite different 20 years ago, equivalent to $308 today, which is 225 quid. The UK RRP was $129.99, which I think blew a lot of people's socks off. It was it was that low price that enabled me to buy four launch games at, at 40, 45 pounds each because I was anticipating another two to three hundred pound console, I think. Yeah, I I was told by my parents afterwards that the only reason I did receive this for Christmas that year was because of its price point. Yeah. Um, they paid more for the Nintendo 64 when they got that for me. Uh, yeah. What was it? Five years earlier. Yeah, and so yeah. Um, the idea of the prospect for my parents and granted, I was a college student, but I was still 18. I wasn't necessarily buying much for myself. Didn't have a car. Kind of had a summer job type thing. And um yeah, I, they told me flat out that um, that that was the reason that they were able to get it for me because the price was so aggressive towards yeah. And in, in comparison with the other with other console offerings, it definitely was the affordable option. Still wasn't enough though, ultimately, uh, mm. to sell anything like the number that the PS2 did, which was completely all conquering, even at one hundred and twenty nine quid, uh, two hundred and fifteen pound in today's money. But working in these shops around the time, I don't remember anyone really being massively like blown away by the price. Like, hmm. I think some people saw it as like maybe, you know, look at this purple thing with a handle and it's cheap. I think it kind of may have in some way kind of hurt it a little bit because it, it come across as like a cheaper, a cheaper, well, you know, a cheaper thing. Even though, like Mikhail said, I always thought the GameCube was more powerful than the PS2. Um, in some ways, and I re- I reckon that the discs were because of piracy and, you know. Hmm. But, you know, the price point came out and it was just like, okay, cool. Like, no one seemed to really, like, you know, do cartwheels about it other than Nintendo fans. Because, like you say, we could we could have we could have bought more games or memory cards right. to go with it. So, um, yeah, right. But overall, the general consensus was from, you know, the public of the customers. Yeah. All right. Let's see what they got. And, uh, yeah, it didn't really take off in the way that I guess Nintendo were expecting. But 129, man, that's just obscene. I yeah. think it was really like a sort of a cultural climate, sign of the times kind of thing. Mm. You know, uh, gaming had, had grown immediate, uh, grown immensely in, in terms of audience and the type of people it uh, it reached. And, you know, the, the PlayStation 2 was just an absolute monster, an absolute yeah. phenomenon. And, uh, yeah, I mean, even if you had your your eyes probably you know if you if you had your horizons widened a little bit and you knew knew what else was out uh, aside from the ps2 um you know me as a one platform guy for a long time but then on the nintendo side um if i would have been like that for the playstation i might 
just have looked at the GameCube and thought like, yeah, why would I really need one? You know, everything that I want is pretty much on the PS2. Plus it plays DVDs. Uh, yep. And, yep. you know, it was the it was just so massive that uh, even the, uh, you know, the, the mighty Xbox really performed uh, above maybe a lot of expectations that people were having, but only sold a little bit more than the, the GameCube. But the PS2 was just that much of a dominant force. Yeah. On the pricing, this was interesting. Looking back, this was run in an uh, industry trade uh, paper, I guess, at the time, website, the register. This was actually from Eurogamer originally talking about the price of the GameCube in the UK. Retailers were unhappy about how cheap it was and their profit margin thereof. Eurogamer said when Nintendo originally announced the GameCube's European launch details, it was meant to retail at the UK at £150, just a couple of quid below the €249 Euro RRP at current exchange rates. Again, Wow, the exchange rate <laughs> is not what it was. Uh, euros and pounds are very close now. Uh, retailers were soon up in arms about the slim margins this would leave them. And soon the street price had risen to about £165 at most stores. Now, I don't actually remember what I paid, but I'm pretty sure it was around the 130 mark. Anyway, flash forward to a couple of days ago. This is 20 years ago. And with less than two weeks to go to before the Cube's long overdue arrival on our shores, Nintendo dropped a bombshell, slashing the price to €199 Euro and adding that it expected the console to retail at 129 in the UK. Given that £129 is the equivalent of about €210 Euro at the moment, that seemed a reasonable expectation. Indeed, just a few hours after the press release arrived from Nintendo, one online store told us that £129.99 price is the final retail price. Sadly, now it looks as, it looks as though they jumped the gun. Re retailers are reporting to be hiking the price to £139.99. <laughs> from a consumer viewpoint, it looks like the Brits are being ripped off once again, expected to pay 15% more than their European neighbours for the same piece of kit. Uh, yeah, I mean, times have changed, but it's an interesting little snapshot. And yeah, often we we talk about the prices of consoles because there's often so much stuff uh, talked about the modern the prices of modern consoles. And we find out that when we do the adjust for, for inflation, the modern consoles are about the same price. But in this case, no, the GameCube was <laughs> really cheap. <laughs> yeah, I think it was around this time where we would order games from Gem Distribution or Centersoft or stuff like this. And they always ask us, do you want any consoles to, you know, bulk your order up? And we're like, no, because we're not making any money. Why would we order these things? Right. Like People can just get them elsewhere. Like, why would we do that? And they were always really annoyed with us. Like, we can't just order games. Like, yeah, we can and we will. Like, because, you know, why would right. we fork out 130 from an independent mm. one shop man's pocket to, um, there's like about 130 quid or 128 pounds, whatever they were charging. We could put that into loads more stock in terms of like software and that. And it was just like, I remember from that point onwards, uh, my boss you know, my, my, my buddy Kelvin, he, he had full-blown arguments down the phone with people about mm. why he would never order consoles. And this was the reason why, because it was just, there was no, there was nothing in it for the little man. You know what I mean? In terms of, mm. like, it wouldn't draw people to the shop because people would come to the shop anyway. Like, just because we had a GameCube on the shelf, it weren't going to bring them in. Yeah. I, so I retailers just... weren't pushing it. So that's another clue as to why it didn't do so well, perhaps? 
Yeah, like I said earlier, I think, I think the price point and you know all that. I think it kind of worked against him in some strange way because and played into the baby po- baby toy argument right. in a way. Yeah, you know, like you know, pocket money console. Do you know what I mean? It was. Yeah, it's a very strange time. And then, well, yeah, we're getting a bit ahead, but I remember people mocking it even further when you put the screen on the top and people called it a toilet. Do you know what I mean? That was quite funny, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the PS1 had been there first. But, uh, yeah, but it wasn't yes, like a little yeah. square, little kind of lavatory looking thing, was it? Come on. The GameCube was 16 by 9, whereas the GameCube was 4 by 3. That, that was definitely a massive thing and something that tied in also to the uh, <laughs> PS2 as a cool, cool lifestyle kind yeah. of device. Uh, yeah, the GameCube very much looked like a, a Fisher Price toy, especially in its uh, purple mm. variation. Um, yeah, I, I remember working, uh, you know, it, during this console generation, I started working as a professional full-time reviewer, uh, editor at a gaming magazine, and my head editor pretty much was mocking the GameCube all the time, like, yeah, that's not a that's not a proper gaming device, it's a toy. Wild. Even though we were a multi-format magazine, I have right. to uh, stress. Yeah. Lame cube. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. God. The machine was discontinued just uh, five, six years after it began, which is uh, yeah considerably shorter than some of the, the lifespan of some of the consoles we've already covered in these uh, in these shows. It had sold in total under twenty two million units. It's quite a lot of consoles, twenty two million, twenty one point seven five. But when you think that the PS two sold one hundred and fifty eight million units, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's trailing in its wake. It was most popular in America where it sold almost 13 million, but in Japan it really didn't do very well with 4 million and uh, less than 5 million around the rest of the world. Ironically, it's probably the most popular console out there because they're buried inside Wii's. So there's Wii's everywhere with GameCube supporting it. And Good point. Yeah. So there's somewhere amongst, there's probably like 200 million GameCubes out there. Good point. Just all duck, tucked away in, underneath charity shop shelves inside a Wii. But I bet like a minority of uh, Wii owners uh, ever really used it yes, to play 100%. GameCube discs on. Yeah, that's just sad. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me happy now knowing that my GameCubes, just by probability and amount sold, are five times more valuable because now they're five times more rare than PS2s that mm-hmm. are in the wild. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah, get them. Uh, put them in a plastic box and get them graded. Yeah, set them off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, and then we can all buy shares of them, and then yeah, yeah we can sell them on the open market. <laughs> so let's talk about the design of the box itself. I think it's uh, it's fair to say that it's quite a marmitey design, as we say over here. In that, uh, some people really adore it, some people really hate it because it looks like a baby toy um, for kids. For kids, we know the original two colours were the black and the purple. Many other colours were available. We'll talk about some of the options. But yeah, the thing was small and the default colour, the one that was it was most commonly associated with, was unlike any console we'd really seen before. Personally, I absolutely made a beeline for the purple one. I had no interest in getting the black one. Like, well, me I mean, too. if it was all there was, I would have got it. Sure, it was the GameCube. It was the new Nintendo console. But given the choice... It's a purple console. It looks different to all the other consoles. Like, why wouldn't I want the purple console? I wanted the purple N64 that I couldn't get. <laughs> I right. wanted that purple one. I, it, there's something really interesting about that color scheme with the purple controller, because you have the purple controller, but then the, the red 
B button, the yellow C stick, the giant green A button. It's like <laughs> yeah. that mix that mix of colors, like it almost it wasn't totally Baby super toy, Famicomy, but yeah, but I don't know. It just it <laughs> it it's you know, it, it shouted joy to me too. So I but was yeah. I was definitely I wanted But it was no good too. for Edge Lords, was it? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I My might PS2 have PS2 was all I, black. Yeah. <laughs> I never considered myself a real edgelord, but I was probably a little <laughs> bit more concerned with being slightly edgier mm. than uh, a hip hop yeah. guy. Yeah, I was. I was in my black period, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I always wanted the orange one, but it was always Spice a orange. lot more ex- expensive than the rest. Um, yeah, you know, it, I, the orange one is just lush. And um, when I went to Tokyo. You know, I don't know how long, maybe seven years ago now. They were just stacked in a corner in yeah. <laughs> just like piled up. And I'm like, oh, don't, what are you doing? Don't do this so, to me. So without getting too much into the technicals, uh, Mr. Driller Drill Land was a game that came out only in Japan on GameCube only. Uh, it's now available happily on Switch and uh, in English and, and other languages. But at the time, uh, my friend Pete, who's a big Nintendo fan, big Mr. Driller fan, was desperate to play this obscure japan only but ultimate mr driller game and there was this whole rigmarole where you couldn't play an although there were ways of playing imported games on pal or or american cubes the the way the save file worked on some games meant that you couldn't save onto a you couldn't save certain games onto a pal cube because it would format the memory card blah 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 so when when he went to Japan, he bought himself not only the game, but also the Spice Orange GameCube on which mm. to play it, which he still has to this day. So I've, I've oh, played awesome. on one of those, which, uh, which is a very nice thing. I don't have one myself. The other colors that were available, I'd forgotten a lot of these, actually. So the black, the black and purple were, were, were original. I still have the purple. The silver one came along quite quickly. Mm. Yeah, that was the Mario Kart Double Dash bundle, wasn't it? Yeah, the silver one. That's, okay. that's the one I use now. I still have my original purple one, but mm-hmm. I kind of... I kind of messed that one up. So, I, bu- so I, I bought a secondhand boxed silver version as a birthday present for somebody in the very late days of the GameCube. Why yeah. silver? Mario yeah. Kart and silver. I mean, that just that just screams second place to me. Yeah. yeah. No, it's well, the, there was uh, gold it's later the, on. It's the uh, exhaust pipes of the cards. <laughs> That's arbitrary. Good point. <laughs> uh, Starlight Gold came along at some point, so you could get the first place trophy for that one. Uh, other options, um, I think, Perhaps I think the silver and gold look a bit of their time, a bit early two thousands. But the maybe the pearl white one would still fly. Oh yeah. Um, there was a there were some game specific ones with logos on and stuff. There was a Metroid Prime one, black one with uh, with some uh, detailing. You could pop the disc on. out. You could you know the, the the disc on the top that says GameCube. Yeah. You could pop it out and <sighs> they put inserts Mod in there it. like a Metroid Prime. Yeah, yeah. One that's and stuff. right. A lot of magazines had these little like cutout thingies that you could that's put yeah. in your GameCube. Yeah, yeah. Ah, sure so that Metroid Prime one had a different disc. Well, that's what I saw anyway. You're absolutely right, and that uh, predates the faceplates for the, the Xbox 360, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was the the lid pl- the lid plates. This was. Yeah, Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness, which again is I think it's a silver or maybe a silver cube with a with a different thing. There's a Resident Evil 4 one again, exactly as you say with the. With the with the different disc, um, different color options. Tales of Symphonia is a very curious looking sort of turquoise and grey. I don't know if it were pale pastel turquoise or something. You'd say uh, Donkey Konga Silver. There was a stripy one to tie in with a Japanese baseball side, uh, the Hanshin Tigers, I think, black and white with pinstripes. Uh, Metal Gear Solid was silver. 
there was a Gundam char bundle, which is a sort of tomato soup color GameCube. <laughs> Again, some of these obviously Japan only. Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, uh, Heineken. There was a Heineken GameCube, which is just Man, a that is incredible. Con- console for kids, my foot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, not that not. one, surely. Heineken <laughs> Zero. Um, anyway, yes, uh, there was one with IBM on it for some reason. There were a couple of what uh, are, to my mind, hideous MTV. Yeah, those are bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there's really lo- bad. There were loads of those. That Canadian maple one is just hideous with the gray button in the middle. Oh, boy. Wow. Yikes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and the last sort of variant that we have to mention because it's a kind of whole thing unto itself is the the Panasonic Q, otherwise known affectionately on forums as the Panny Q. Uh, <laughs> of course, because we always go to our specialist correspondent on these occasions. Darren, have one of these. <laughs> I did. So after ages of never getting an N sixty four DD. It was my mission to get one of these. I had to have it. I had it for about a month because it didn't really offer much that I really needed it for. It was just such a novelty kind of... Can you describe it to people who have never seen it? Okay. So if you put a GameCube inside a much larger looking mirrored cube and it has like a little dome on the top and it's like a little LED panel that tells you what's going on in this little kind of... It's really hard to describe. It's a little domey kind of semicircle looking. Sort of multimedia box. Yeah, it was a DVD player. It was a yeah. it was a GameCube yeah. and it was a music player at the same time. And it would say, you know, you put the GameCube on and it would say GameCube on the little LED screen. It was really, really shiny because it was a mirror. It was basically just a, a cubed mirror. And every time you touched it, it got dirtier and dirtier. Oh no, and dirtier. It's just fingerprints. I mean. I was of that age. I probably had all sorts on my fingers, but and it was all going on my cube. It was like, prr, prr. I was like, oh my, God, I can't have this in my life. And every time I looked in it, you could see what was going on around in your bedroom and stuff. And it was, it was quite distracting at some points, but <laughs> I, it's so, it's so bizarre having Ooh. it because it's on these, it's on its feet. It's got its yeah, own it's special feet. feet and it's raised little remote floor. little button remote. Yeah. It came with the remote and everything. It was just, I've never paid so much for something that I've used, other than the IQ, you know, the N64 IQ. But yes. that and this Panasonic Q are the two things that I spent so much money on. And I just thought, why? What have I done? <laughs> Even back then when I had everything <laughs> Nintendo, to the point where my mum was like, you need to stop buying stuff and paying me rent. I was like, oh, well, I want to buy some shiny Nintendo stuff. And it might be <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So <laughs> having this giant, it is, it's, it's big. Like, and you, everyone goes on about how small the GameCube is. This is it's longer it's wider it's right. shinier it's just a it's just a beast and i loved it but ultimately it, it did everything that i needed to you know it did everything that the other box did it didn't yeah. make the game super nice uh it wasn't like 60 frames for every single game it didn't wasn't an expansion pack or no whatever that means but yeah i know what you're saying yeah there, yeah, there was a certain amount of console uh not console forum swank about it though wasn't there like yeah, that's why i wanted it yeah i've got Absolutely. the penny I've got my lovely panny cue people. I've never say. called it a panny cue. That is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Just, like, come on, we can say Panasonic cue. It's not that much longer, is it? Yeah, but it, you know, it come with its own little controller, and you know, it looked even better with the WaveBird plugged in because that was a sort of grayish-looking thing mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, a, a very nice for me pointless bit of kit. Like, I, I loved it, but it was completely redundant. Very little to report in the way of hardware variations. Uh, there are actually only two distinct models, as far as I can work out. The DOL-001 and the DOL-101. 
the 101 required a <laughs> two watt more powerful AC adapter. Uh, there were there was a change to the uh, AV out port. It's the most uh, that's the most obvious difference between the two. The uh, original had a component basically, um, and so it you could have progressive scan on certain games that supported it, but the newer model mm. didn't have that. The uh, there was a a weird never used port on the bottom of the original model that they took out of the of the of the follow up one. Um, no, people did use it. I told you this before, didn't I? What Drugs. Drugs. <laughs> that's right. Put your weed in there, man. Yeah, yeah. So we've had some consoles traded in that had uh, that's right. nefarious stuff in it. Yeah, good point. But yes, um, nothing, nothing huge or major. We have to though before we move on. Because it comes up, even when we were planning the show, the thing that people want to talk about with the GameCube almost more than anything else is the handle. The plastic, the curved plastic molded in handle. I think it was Tony on our Slack channel asked, has anyone ever picked up their GameCube by that handle? And uh, of course, the answer is yes. But I remember... Shigeru Miyamoto sh showing off the GameCube design when it was uh, when it was ready to be shown. I can't remember which show it was, but he famously said something, and I will misquote him here because I don't have it to hand. But it was something along the lines of, "This is meet my my new baby. It's very small, but I'm hoping it will make a, lo a lot of noise." That sound right? Sure. Okay, nobody remembers so. <laughs> that. I, in my head, he wheeled it on in a pram, but I don't think that actually happened but he was sort of introducing it as his new baby and and i believe he picked it up by the by the handle uh i have i've i have moved it from place to place via its plastic handle and to be honest 99 percent percent of the time i don't even remember it's on there because it's facing away right part of yeah. me does think when i look at it as a whole that yes maybe it would have been neater if it actually had been a cube or the handle was detachable but really, it's not the be-all and end-all. But again, I think maybe for some people, maybe for shallow people, <laughs> it suggested again it was that sort of Fisher-Price kind of, it's, a, it's something for a child to grip. Yeah, and it definitely didn't make the console look any sleeker, uh, for sure. No, I never had a problem with the handle. I'm not sure if, like, I'm not trying to be that guy who likes everything as I get labeled a lot, but I mean, no, the handle is... Uh... Yeah, it just it was just kind of part of the whole aesthetic, and I'm not sure if I ever really carried it from place to place. It's not that um, it certainly wasn't the Switch, you know, playing it on the rooftops party, you know, advertisement. But no. it certainly was there as if you were going to be moving the thing around a lot. No, I don't really think of it, but like, it'd be weird if it didn't. I guess if you didn't have it, how would you carry it? Like, I don't know. It's just kind of this weird little. It's not. It's not like a rectangle. You know, it's it's kind of. I mean, it's a rectangle, but you know what I mean. Like, it's. I don't know. I. I get what you're saying with it with a with a traditional with yeah, yeah like, exactly with a traditional yeah. form factor console it's slim enough that you can grab it with one hand right yeah. and yeah. and uh, with a GameCube you can't really do that because it's kind of tall and yeah I mean the cube design I I thought it was cute I like it um, yeah, looking at my Xbox Series X here it's effectively two cubes right stuck mm -hmm. together so yep. it's so it's a it's an obelisk I like it it's it feels substantial yeah. Yeah, I'd like the I like the handle, but again, it kind of fed into people's yeah. negative connotations towards mm. it being a toy. Um, but yeah, like you know, when it's in your bag, like I said, I did take it around with with me quite a lot because it could play both. 
Japanese and American games. Yeah. Like, it just out of the bag. Fine. You know, it's... You could lift it out of the bag with the handle, right? So you don't <laughs> carry it around, like, in the streets by the, by the handle. <laughs> But it, you you lift it like from the rucksack in the into your, the mate into 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 your mate's front room via the handle. So yeah. it was it was absolutely worth including it. <laughs> I think I even had like I had this little GameCube kind of little kind of rectangle bag. Thinking about it, it was it, it was kind of like a messenger bag, but a bit wider and a bit longer yep. sort of thing. I have very that. specific. I still have yeah. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was it was great. Just lift it up, pulled it out. It was very very nerdy and geeky, but that's what we're here for, isn't it? And it's just like, yep, yeah, brilliant. Right. It, it must comes. have been a. Th- it must have been a thing with the era because I have a PS2 one of those too that like is just the width of a PS2 and has like controller pockets and stuff. I think it was mm. just part of the yeah. part of the accessory aesthetic of the times. I yeah. think there's still a, a big old market for that stuff. If you go into an actual, imagine this physical bricks and mortar retail store that yeah. sells games, I think they make a lot of their money on stuff like this. Even if people don't actually use them that much, there is a market. Uh, I and can't imagine moving my PlayStation 5 anywhere ever again. <laughs> that thing that thing is sitting where it is, and it's already teetering on the brink of I was collapse. Gonna say, so I'm just I was going to say, it moves off its stand of its own accord quite often. Yep, uh, exactly. <laughs> if you walk around the room loud enough, yeah. yeah it's, it's just strange. It's just strange. Like, the, the concept of taking your console somewhere else uh, to play, to hook it up at a friend's Asking house. Asking to get something. mugged. It's not, not, I mean, it's not an unthinkable thing to do if you live in a safe place. Um, but yeah, you'd probably put it in a plastic bag or something with the uh, accessories or, right. yeah. or, or, or you, you, I would never picture myself just walk around with a console all in the open in the street, carrying Certainly it not in, on, a, on a little handle. In Northern Europe where the, the rain is likely to hit at any, yeah. any point. Yeah. Exactly. I can see myself carrying around my Series S to a friend's house. That's nice and light and small. Yeah. You could bung it in a bag. Take it under your arm. Yeah. Yeah. I'd buy a Series yeah. S bag if. I could go around friends' houses as much as I'd like to. <laughs> so, what, so what you're saying is that you'd hope you would have liked the Series S to have a handle on it. A handle, big, yeah. Big, yeah, chunky definitely. handle. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Dear Get Microsoft. a little screen on it and we could all sit on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> the front end then, uh, always a fun part when you turn on your new console for the first time. Not really what it was, I guess, again, because the uh, like the 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 Xbox, for example, is exactly the same front end as it was last gen. But at the time, you'd get a new startup sequence and new few little screens to muck around in. And of course, the GameCube was a little cube. Uh, it makes nice new agey noises as you move it around. And it's got a little clock and a screen adjuster. It's fairly, there's not much to do in there. Game, uh, memory card manager. Uh, but I guess the thing that Everyone will remember because they heard it a million times. Is the startup jingle, and and if animation. you were a Nintendo-only platform holder, then that was the first time you had this sort of thing. Yeah, good point. Mm. Yeah, I suppose yeah. so. Uh, but yes, uh, I don't know how they do it, and it's become like that. That startup noise, the default one, has become maybe not as maybe not as much of a meme as the Wii Shop music, but still. People know it. You hear it used in sort of funny contexts in in internet videos and stuff, don't you? Yeah, there's loads of memes on it. Um, but the thing I learned today via YouTube videos of Did You Know Gaming, the mm. the background droning noise, the you know all yeah. that kind of like hums. That's a very slowed down version of the Famicom Disk System music. Ah. So if you speed that up in the GameCube, like via recording it and speeding it up, it sounds it's the, it's the tune from the Famicom. 
Family oh, Tom interesting. disc. That is so thingy. cool. Yeah, wicked, isn't it? And slow down. It sounds uh, almost a bit sinister. It is a bit broody and like moody, yeah. It so is weird like, how yeah. that generation of consoles all had these slightly weird and moody front ends. Definitely. Yeah. But it's I like it. times, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't the, uh, let's say, the Apple uh, sterile sort of, uh, sort of uh, sense of aesthetics. Yet. Right. Or the Switch no, yeah, where exactly, there's just yeah. basically nothing, like no music, no... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, that's the thing yeah. with like, consoles now that you can quick resume on, mostly. Yeah. You, you barely ever see the front end, so why would mm. they... The, the Series S and X has got Good a nice point. one, but you see it once in a blue moon, really, unless mm. you really need to reboot your console. Yeah, True. it's a shame. Yeah, really as, somebody, like as somebody who just recently moved my Series X just for temporary, I turned it back on, I'm like, oh, I forgot that that was the thing. Yeah. Was, I'd only ever yeah. seen it once. Yeah, it's yeah. Nice. I'm pretty sure I deliberately rebooted my One X a few times just to see that bespoke... Project Scorpio 4K startup. Yeah, the 4K. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and again, I, I really hope there's at least one person listening to this who didn't know this. But if you held down the Z trigger on one controller as you turned on your GameCube, who would like to do a vocal impersonation of what you heard? <laughs> Come on. Mikhail, you're always ready with a vocal impersonation. <laughs> Can you not do the... Manic baby giggling of the and and again, I mean, I know this was an Easter egg, but talk about playing into the baby toy kind of uh, uh, image of the machine. The 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 what the first secret startup actually just sounds like a baby, you know, like a it's a baby laughing, and it sounds like a children's television program. It sounds like <laughs> something it's, like that, yeah. right? It sounds it sounds to me like how Kazooie sounds when you're walking yeah. on Kazooie and Banjo Kazooie. Yeah, that's and even even the little like uh, kalimba or marimba mm. sound or xylophone like sound that goes with it. it I yeah. thought it was a, a reference to Rare and Banjo Kazooie, actually. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's in there, and also I found out so, uh, near the time, but some time later, that if you hold down all four Z triggers on four controllers, you get the uh, kind of very traditional Japanese sounding intro with, I don't actually know what the name for the sort of vocal technique is, but that that kind of Japanese vocalization and some traditional Japanese instruments playing a, a third tune. Yeah, it sounds like a kabuki theater kind yeah, of, uh, kind of whoa, thing. That's that kind it. of sound. Yeah. 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 So that's there. Very cool. Alex79 from the forum says the GameCube was the machine that got me back into console gaming after a few years playing exclusively on PC. I got the Mario Kart Double Dash pack for Christmas from my girlfriend at the time and absolutely loved that little box of tricks. A few notable games that I really enjoyed on the console, Eternal Darkness, Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes, Resident Evil 4, 13 and of course, Beautiful Joe. Now there's a series long overdue for a remaster. Well, over a decade ago, I lent my GameCube to a friend of mine's dad who was really into gaming, but he sadly passed away a couple of years ago and I've never felt right about asking for it back. And besides, I've still got my Wii that I can play all my GameCube games on. It was a great little console and I suppose the last traditional console that Nintendo ever produced. Oh, and finally, shout out to the pad with its massive A button, interesting button placement and perfect triggers. It was a lovely thing to use that still feels great in the hands, even now. The controller then. Uh, again, I would say based, uh, this is just based on my perception of anecdotal, I would say it's a bit of a marmitey one. 
Some people love it. Some people really don't have any time for it. I was really had an an extended life thanks to the whole scene with with Melee. I mean, it's pretty incredible that that, uh, they felt the need. I mean, granted, with the Wii, we talked about it a little bit earlier, uh, but they felt the need to put four actual ports for it onto every Wii console that shipped. So obviously there was some nostalgia and some use for that controller. And Um, there's still an efficient adapter even for the current gen nintendo console yeah Yeah. in some respects the gamecube controller is an again very toy like a lot of people were deriding it but it's an amazing controller in most aspects uh but it has its weakness it's it's not for it's not amazing for every style of game Mm -hmm. but for the games that it does work really well on it works so well that it it's one of my favorite input methods to use across uh yeah, the whole medium all of, of gaming. gaming very much. Yeah, yeah. because well, of, it because it melts so well into your hands, hmm. and uh, for my money, just the the sensitivity on the analog stick on yeah. a game that demands actual proper analog control um, is almost unmatched, even by newer controllers from Nintendo. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yes, uh, I'm a big fan of the Switch Pro controller, but even then, there is something about that GameCube analog stick, and we've seen, and Darren will report on this, The what happened when they tried to get Monkey Ball onto the Xbox yeah. and uh, and the PS2, uh, but even now on current-gen systems. like the, I would say overall, the standard of modern controllers is kind of on, on an engineering and ergonomic level higher than console controllers were 20 years ago but there was yeah they they really engineered the heck out of that analog stick in particular Mm. and combine that with the big a button and those rather pleasing kidney bean x and y buttons uh i always found it very pleasant to hold certainly and still do actually i've I've still got mine yeah there's something about that whole design philosophy of okay we'll make the primary buttons the standout buttons, like that big A button, you know, like there's no homogen, there's no homogeneity between the face buttons. Yeah, yeah you're never confused about what button you're going to hit to say enter or start or you know what mm. have you. It's obviously yeah. going to be the gigantic A button. I th- I think that the um, and we can talk about this a little more later. But the the WaveBird controller, like just that was the the first time that actual wireless controller inputs felt right to me you know i've tried tried some other stuff before but like that wave bird that really did kind of feel like uh one of those playing from the future type of things you know you you play that for the first time like oh wow it's exactly the same as plugged in i can't believe how well this works and Mm. and yeah just i am yeah i'm a huge fan of the gamecube control those those triggers too they just feel really good your l and r and um the z button's a little weird kind of up there (laughs) on the top yeah Yeah. (laughs) but but all in all, I it's I look back on it fondly, especially with the run of Nintendo controllers there between yeah the sixty four before that, which was a leap and kind of odd in its own way, and then the next was the Wii, and then the Wii U. So like it's kind of interesting their controller path, the way that's gone. There's a very um, sort of uh, yeah interesting, interesting sort of bit to point out that that Z button instead of a second pair of shoulder buttons was a little bit of a, a, a weakness uh, when it came to multi-platform games. For example, yeah, true. NBA Street Volume mm-hmm. 2, which was yep. a game that I really loved. Uh, the PS2 and Xbox versions, uh, you had four trick modifiers to do that. And then um, for the GameCube port, they had to sort of fit two trick modifiers onto one button. So you, you, there was 
just less moves you could do in that game. Mm. There's um there's a reason why like um the, <clears throat> whenever every time a Smash Brothers game comes out and there's GameCube controller support for it, so Brawl on the Wii, you know, yeah. you can plug your GameCube controllers in. Smash Brothers on the um on the Wii U, they added the GameCube adapter, and then again for the Switch, they enabled GameCube um adapter support for that as well. eBay prices just rocket up because Smash Brothers and the GameCube controller are just a match made in heaven, like to the point where I can't really play smash brothers without one and same goes for monkey ball i'm not going to bang on it for too long but they've made it you know they've remade the game for modern consoles and it just doesn't feel the same i'm you know i'm, I'm over it I'm, I'm okay with it but the, the gamecube the way the analog stick locks in it was it embeds in your muscle memory in terms for me with monkey ball like I, if i push up it ain't moving whereas now we've got full 360 movement on these on these series s controllers in my case and the slightest twinge of whatever it is they've done to the physics you go flying off and some yeah. you know, some levels that are where i banked on pushing the stick into a position because the outside of the analog stick has got these kind of 45 degree angle lock-ins that you can do it made monkey ball you know that essential yeah. really for the game so i want a, i want a gamecube pad for my xbox so i can play it. i should have bought the yeah. switch one and maybe gone with that but here i am um, it's amazing really because sega uh after the dreamcast was discontinued moved on to not only the gamecube but uh, the ps2 as well but also of course uh most famously maybe the original xbox but imagine if super monkey ball they had decided to release that on one of the other two platforms yeah who knows like, like maybe the game would have been tailored towards those controllers instead like yeah. for me like that gamecube controller where, when people made a game for that console that controller was like yeah. I reckon my motto is like you need to think about this controller when you're making your game sort of thing. It yeah. almost it almost feels like we hadn't had anything like that until now with the PlayStation 5 controller. Like um like specifically I'm thinking of Mario Sunshine is the most obvious example where the way that you push in like the 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 stream the stream of water pressure depends on the amount of pressure you're putting on the mm-hmm. triggers like like now you, yeah it mm-hmm. clicks to stand still you can hold the, yeah and like almost haptics and, almost yeah almost yeah exactly almost like um haptics before haptics were kind of possible yeah. and um and you yeah. see that now like with um like a, a game like it's so funny thinking about a game like Returnal and comparing mm-hmm. it to Mario Sunshine but there's a lot of similarity <laughs> yeah. there yeah. like in the actual control like the feel of it and that Astro's was Playroom. wildly novel for me at the time and I I just like there was a couple instances in Beyond Good and Evil, which is a game I played on the GameCube, which I'll talk about later. But um, it's like it, it just it felt like Darren said it could only be used for that console. And he had to be very specific when thinking about that controller as it tied to a GameCube game. And I, I, I always find those kind of implementations very interesting. Another couple of criticisms, I guess. The C-Stick had its purposes and uses, but uh, again, for multi-format games, Nubbin. it was a bit nubbin-y compared to an actual second analog stick and it didn't really offer any advantages over a second analog stick in my opinion as a camera controller and also the actual although my my original gamecube pads are both still in in decent nick the rubber on that is slightly uh aged yeah. in that it's yeah. kind of a bit dry <laughs> bit 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 perished uh and also the other uh, the other downside for me on the on the gamecube pad sort of carrying over from the N64 pad was that the the digital controller, the the plus, the D-pad was, uh, in this case, it, it was a little less imprecise than the N64 one, but it was diddy and still a little bit wibbly wobbly. <laughs> 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 to be technical. Yeah, it's, 
it was interesting because they they tried to fit it. Well, they didn't try; they succeeded in fitting it on the exact same square, like kind of um, yeah. you know, surface area as the C stick. So just based on that, just for form factor, it had to be very right. tiny. I can mm-hmm. I can't honestly remember uh, 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 utilizing that in a game aside from maybe just like switching between items or something. I, I don't remember actually ever using that. D-pad I think I used it in like a game. Uh, puzzle. Uh, I often go to D pad for puzzle games that are grid based like and stuff maybe, like yeah. that. Yeah, or yeah. paneled upon. There was a there was a conversion of that. Um, and I can use it. My thumbs aren't so kind of sausagey that I can't use it. But it, it was just yes, yeah, just a just a yeah. tad diddy. I had to play uh, for the longest. I had to play Capcom versus SNK two with that D pad. Of course, oh, yeah. wow, easy yeah. operation though. That's why they added. <laughs> that's why yeah, they added exactly. the C stick commands. Right? Imagine doing those uh, SNK yeah. style super desperation pretzel input motions. On the, <laughs> it on was tiny totally not. Yeah, totally <laughs> yeah. not. Uh, if you had the multi format choice, uh, GameCube yeah. was not the go to for fighting games of that nature by and large. I wouldn't have said. No. I think it was pretty much the only. Proper 2D fighter on the system as yeah. well, yeah. Yes. If you're, you know, if you don't count Smash Brothers, that is. That was the second generation in a row where the console had been completely starved of, of one key genre. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, the GameCube did have good fighting games uh, as opposed to the uh, Nintendo 64, but we'll get into those when we, re- when we reach them. Yeah. Dusk versus Tweak from the forum says this is where i became a traitor to my beloved nintendo as a kid i was 100 percent a nintendo fanboy a console warrior who hated playstation yes i know i was obnoxious i've changed i swear but as much as i campaigned for my uh, and then loved my nintendo 64 there was something about the gamecube that kept me from jumping on the boat i don't even think it was anything nintendo was or wasn't doing it was that my tastes were changing and the ps2 had the exclusives i wanted to play at that moment I don't think I made a mistake switching from Nintendo to PS2, but I do think I made a mistake ignoring the GameCube for so long. Despite me not owning one myself, I put enough time into my friend's Super Smash Bros. Melee that I might as well have bought my own copy, minus the console. A friend left me his GameCube when he moved and his uh, and Metroid Prime, F-Zero GX, Resident Evil 4 became new favourites and Double Dash was basically what I'd hoped Mario Kart 64 was going to be. And maybe if I had gone in on the cube, I would have purchased a copy of Skies of Arcadia Legends before it cost more than an actual airship. And even though my time with it is limited compared to day one adopters, I believe the GameCube's controller is one of the best. I didn't realise how much I could love that big green A button and the X and Y just a simple slide away. So those next gen graphics, as we've said, uh, all very shiny and lovely, particularly demonstrated by nintendo studios as you'd expect and their counterparts and so, capcom with the resident evil remake yeah very very true yeah. uh supported 480p and 576p even with uh, progressive scan uh and your regular 480i and whatever else via uh, composite or s video on the ntsc consoles rgb scart which is what i used into my uh sony tv Back in the Same. day, yeah, PAL only, and component on the DOL zero zero one models. If your TV had component inputs, hmm. yeah, I remember that component cable being very expensive. Yeah, I believe so. I reckon it was about hundred quid yeah. to get it imported, and yeah, I I had one, and I do remember holding down B to activate progressive scan and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. nice. 
I was never 100% clear on it, but could you enable progressive scan with an RGB SCART inserted as well? If you held down B? I don't think so. I'm not yeah. 100% certain uh, because I never had a TV that supported it. So I, yeah. I missed out on that. Uh, yeah, I mean, talking about the price of cables, I remember Sony centers trying to uh, charge 90 quid for special HDMI leads, mm -hmm. even once you could already buy HDMI cables for like, I guess, 10 or 20 quid before they drop down to like 50p or whatever they are now. Um, absolutely disgusting practice of like basically <laughs> total snake oil. Like this yeah, HDMI cable is magic. It's 90 yeah, it's, pounds. It, these, are, these are the ones meant for gaming. Yeah. It's like that was always like the yeah. thing. It was just... Yeah. pure nonsense but yeah it was it was yeah. the kind of the wild west of uh but i believe know, a regulation. good component cable actually was you know a well-engineered crafted thing uh and maybe 100 pounds was you know, a bit much but there was actually you were actually paying for something that was an upgrade there whereas mm -hmm. the uh, the old buy this 90 pound hdmi cable instead of this 10 pound one was yeah a total rip yeah so the consoles were back then all regional locked of course however uh yeah the power cube by default was uh, a 50 hertz machine but if you had an import enabler and a tv capable of 60 hertz which most of them were by this point uh the one i bought was a disc called freeloader which yeah. uh, you simply stick in your console at the at boot up and you pop out that disc and put in whatever disc you want to play and play import games as i say the only caveat were certain titles that would try to format your memory card every time you played the game but another interesting th thing about it as well uh, i got a japanese copy of uh, ikaruga mm -hmm. and uh, some of the in-game text japanese of course japanese characters um is sort of baked into the software it seems so that displays right. fine mm -hmm. but then there is a text that it takes from the uh, gamecube's sure. system yes. and the gamecube's the european gamecube system i'm sure the north american has the same mm. doesn't support japanese characters weirdly enough right so, so you, you get, get sort of yeah you get garbage text hmm. uh, on doesn't screen. crash the game yeah. or anything though no 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 okay but it looks uh yeah, it looks slightly uh scruffy, yes. yeah yeah ideally you, I suppose you'd, yeah, you'd either have a proper multi-region mod or, uh, or yeah, like my friend did, buy a Japanese yeah. spice cube for, <laughs> for 20 quid, whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, and about the 50 and 60 hertz thing in PAL territories, the majority of uh, first and second parties, so published by Nintendo games, had uh, 60 hertz uh, support. So when you would yes, put up the game, it would goodness. ask you to. Uh, yes. It would ask you if you would uh, want to display in 60 hertz. As usual, uh, a lot of high-profile exclusives did actually. Even like the Capcom stuff had 60 hertz support. Yeah, it was again as with PS2. It was something that became more people became aware of as the generation went on because the launch games, like none of, I don't think any of the launch games other than Monkey Ball had the option. Uh, yeah. of the ones that I bought. So Lu Luigi's Mansion was actually a nice PAL conversion in that it arguably, they because they'd kind of uh, actually modified it to fill the screen. So yeah. it actually in, you know, had a, a higher resolution effectively than the NTSC version uh, and, and played, I think, at a, a reasonable pace. And obviously Luigi's yeah. Mansion isn't a game. But like Wave Race Blue Storm was, uh, had borders and was slower. Yeah, had small borders, right? Yeah, yeah. so... But yes, Monkey Ball. Thankfully, from the from day one, we got a proper sixty hertz, uh, non messed up 
version of, of Monkey Ball, for example. And yes. Yeah. That is good stuff. Now, I don't know about you, you fellows, but my GameCube hasn't been exactly the same shape since 2003 because as soon as it came out, I bolted a Game, a game Boy player on the bottom. <laughs> yes. And it's still yep. there. Mine had the same shape till 2021, but uh, last month I got it. a Game, a game uh, Boy player. Oh, nice. nice. Okay. Our, uh, our old friend from the forum, KSub01000, sent me his with the, the, with the disc that came with it. And that was really good because um, I could, when I was working at Nintendo, they were do, selling a bunch of them in uh, a storage clear out, and I was a little bit too late grabbing one at the time. Yeah, it's a cool thing. I believe there are some for for real the uh, real experts when it comes to Game Boy games. There are a few emulation issues and bits and bobs in playing the games because effectively the Game Boy Player is Game Boy hardware uh, or Game Boy Advance hardware. Therefore, it also plays Game Boy and Game Boy Color games, which is yeah. great. You can play them all on your TV, and obviously some of them look a bit better than others when blown up to whatever size, but it's just a really nifty device, I think. Yeah, yeah, it has some nice little display uh, options as well. True, true. Yeah, so the, the sequel to the Super Game Boy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I never had one myself. Um, I, you know, I always prefer playing GBA stuff on my GBA, which is yeah. my preference, Fair but enough. yeah. The um the Game Boy Player was, you know, more options are, are brilliant and yeah I I did enjoy seeing Game Boy games blown up on my telly. It's quite yeah it's quite a fun little fun little thing because I never really sought one after like oh I need this in my life or anything. Mm. Uh, but um, yeah, it's just it's just fun you know like certain titles uh that I maybe want to put a little bit more time in but due to not commuting and not having the habit of playing a handheld system at home I just never really get to so. It's a good excuse to finally finish uh, the first Fire Emblem on GBA on the on the big TV yeah. instead of uh, carrying it around, and um, especially if uh, let's say I want to pick up a little bit of streaming again or capturing game footage, it's a mm. very easy way to do so. Yeah, of absolutely. Yeah. So, if you had four GameCubes with four GameCube players plugged in, could you link them to a GameCube playing four swords and have? I the weirdest. No, I don't <laughs> wonder so. about this. An absolute plan. mesh of spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it great. probably won't work. Yeah. Oh, don't dampen my dreams, man. Just say yeah. Even yeah. if it's a lie, just say yeah. <laughs> I'd love it. There's quite a few add-ons and devices, first and third party, as you'd expect. A few of the notable ones. Well, we have to start, of course, with the mighty e-reader. <laughs> Everyone remembers the e-reader. Never came out over here, did it? Officially, no, no, no. no never did. No, and it's um, it's something that I had ops yes. uh, for Animal Crossing. I remember scanning yes. in those cards yep. and it not working yep. very well. Get the best NES games that way, right? Absolutely. That's that's the, literally the only reason why, just to get all the nezes in my house. Um, yeah. yeah, and Super Mario Brothers three, like we mentioned before on the on the GBA, had um, e-reader functionality with oh, exclusive yeah. levels hidden in it. So um, yeah, there was there was a lot of fun in the e-reader, a very Nintendo device. It, it looked kind of it was sort of similar to the transfer pack, but it was a yes. bit more pointy and a bit more, a bit more toy-like. Really, it was definitely a thing. And I'm, I'm gonna say of... I prefer Amiibo on the whole, although they work out a lot more expensive if you buy them all. <laughs> yeah, they are just pretty <laughs> right, early yeah. Amiibos, aren't they? Really, kind of. Think about it, because yeah. you can get Amiibo cards now. You and they can do. Animal Crossing they cards. Do the same thing. Yeah, mm. it's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> 
Uh, so what what other ridiculous add-ons and peripherals did people have, or non-ridiculous ones? Did anyone go in for fighting sticks or racing wheels or anything like that for their GameCubes? I I really didn't. I just stuck with the with the default pad and whatever else. I did have a uh, I did have a um, racing wheel by Logitech. Um, cool. With for- force feedback, I think uh, it was just standing in our offices in uh, when I was uh, working oh, as a game the back of a a game reviewer. Yeah, no, actually my uh the head editor told me, Oh, we're not doing anything with this. You want to take it home oh, nice. because you're such a such a crazy game GameCube fan. So I took it home and uh was playing a lot of Burnout 2 with it, which uh, worked really well. Oh cool, yeah, that would even been in the um I think it's in the F Zero GX manual, it actually huh. uh shows you how to play huh. the game with with this particular steering wheel. Huh. So it was very officially supported by Nintendo. Okay. That's interesting. So Yeah. Uh, I tried that, but it's it was fun for a roller coaster ride kind yeah. of experience. But yeah, I quickly went back to the. Controls. I was going to say because <laughs> yeah. that that's another game that is absolutely even though there's an arcade version of it, which presumably uses some kind of s- yeah. steering, steering wheel controller. So in a way, it gives you that experience at home to an extent. Yeah. But actually, that game with the analog stri- stick is kind of how you need to play it to get really good at it, right? Yeah, I played yeah. F Zero AX in one of those hy- yeah. hydraulic machines, and I uh, died very quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess, but <laughs> of course, when I say you need, I mean most people need. I know there are some people out there who probably can do AX with the pedal and steering wheels and whatever, and and completely ace it because there's always someone. I bet there's someone who's really good at Monkey Ball Arcade with the with banana. A banana. Stick. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, not me. Yeah, <laughs> I have played it. I completed one day. I completed easy stage, uh, you know, the easy set of levels with the banana. It feels nice. good to hold, if a little phallic. <laughs> <laughs> also, the ASCII keyboard controller. What a mighty thing this was! <laughs> so it was this for was Fantasy Star Online, right? Yeah, y- fan- that's what I was going to ask. Was it for Fantasy Star? Yeah, this was for yeah. Mainly, if a GameCube controller was a slinky. Just stretch it out. Put it's a keyboard such a in cool. <laughs> I did see one of these live. Never held one. But yeah, essentially <laughs> oh, they split. Brilliant. You know, uh, lis- listener, if you've never seen one of these, you know the chat pad that they started doing for the in the 360 era, the little tiny little keyboard. Rather than do that with the GameCube, <laughs> what they did was they put an, in- an entire full size keyboard in between the prongs <laughs> of a GameCube controller. Yeah, it looks so unwieldy. Oh, I think I have a. I, I never held one, but I think I have a um, sort of an idea what it must be like ever mm. since we first uh, held a uh, Baby. Wii U gamepad. Well, that's right. what I was gonna say. Yeah. The Wii U gamepad. Yeah, yeah, yeah because that bad. that added a ton of space between. That's the true as well. Yeah. So yeah. this, but this was about twice as wide, I would say, as a, as a Wii U. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was long. Yeah. It was really Immense. strange. If you could chat to your PSO2 buddies, yeah, that'd be yeah, nice for sure. What about the bongos? bongos? Yes, obviously oh, we yes. did a we did a bongo yeah. pod, um, you know, DK Conga podcast. But uh, but yes, the bongos. All four of us were on that one. I yes, just want we were... oh, okay. I just wanted to no, say yeah, or the Jungle Beat one. Yeah, I just yeah, yeah, recently sure. inherited a third set from a from an old friend of mine who contacted me. He messaged me two and a half years ago to say I've got an old set of DK bongos. Do you want them? I said sure. And then I forgot all about it. And then about two weeks ago, he messaged me and said, do you want these or not? So I now have a third <laughs> set of, of bongos. Uh, awesome. They need, put it this way, they need cleaning. But, uh, but yeah. <laughs> now, was Hey You Pikachu was a 
64 games. Yeah, right. but... So what was the microphone mm-hmm. for the GameCube? Though? Multiple. What was that used for? Multiple things. Uh, Od- mm-hmm. Odama would be one. Mm-hmm. Odama. Okay, That's thank you. One. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. I couldn't think yeah. of the name of it. Two Mario Party games? Yep. Oh, God. Six and, six and seven, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, yep. Jeez. yeah. Anything else? And there was a... There was a... There was a Pikachu game. It was. It was a Pokemon Channel, right? It was called Pokemon Channel, and I'm sure it used a microphone to some degree. I remember there being a thing where you could talk to a Pokemon on the GameCube. You're not completely wrong in saying that with Pika- hey, you Pikachu. Uh, yeah, you're just... right. There was some some vague memory I have of seeing that at a kiosk somewhere. Mm. I, I never owned any microphones for the. For it's the like a pencil mic, like a seventies pop star looking mic. I yeah, think. exactly. Yeah. yeah, like a Bob Barker kind of hosting microphone. There, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, karaoke yeah. revolution party on the GameCube, uh, and also apparently Chibi Robo, which oh. we have covered, but I don't know what the mm. microphone did in that. Maybe they yeah, took yeah. it out of the Western. But I don't know. I have two of these silly little mics. One that came with Odama and the other one that came with Mario Party 7. Yeah. And it's weird also you need to um, input them in the memory card slot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Probably for, you know, if you play Mario Party, of course, you want to have all four controller ports available. Maybe that's the reason behind it. Absolutely good point. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, of course, use it on the Wii if, you, if your Wii comes with a GameCube ports and a GameCube memory slots. Good point. The GameCube features two memory card ports for saving game data. They released uh, three memory card options, 59, which was grey, which was uh, 512k, 251, the black one with two megs, and memory card 1019, which was uh, a white card with eight uh, meg of space on it. I only ever got as far as needing the black one, which I just I think I just have that one left now, which has more than enough space on it for everything. Uh, I ended up with at least one grey one that was in a box with my input copy of Animal Crossing because that needed a whole memory yep. card, of course. Yep. Um, I just remember, I just always weirdly find them, I don't know, that even compared to the PS1 ones, which they were very similar to and PS2 in a way, they just felt very uh, clicky and snappy and really quick and easy to use. Like they were the access to them, to the to the memory blocks and stuff always seemed really fast compared to PlayStation stuff even I always thought there was there was much less delay seemingly between things happening it is kind of amazing that like there was just a, like a, a, a the giant section of time where there was just not a hard drive inside of your machine at least <laughs> not one that that stored anything for you you know and uh and and this was our this was like the most convenient and cost effective solution because they could charge for it and everything Absolutely. else oh. and then now of course you know like i i was literally setting up my oled switch today as i'm downloading cloud saves without even thinking about it it's just it's amazing the leaps yeah. in a, what is a relatively short amount of technological time um but yeah i think i have the white one now but i got that later on because i um wanted to try some nefarious things with my uh, gamecube so yeah unlike the ps2 we we recommended some third party memory cards for the GameCube because they were they were half decent, you know. There were some okay. rubbish ones out there. There was the one where you you push it in and it had like a little dome on the top and it had a number and you could change the pages because you could have more than fifty two blocks or something. Uh, they did, they did oh, release a cool, black one yeah. as well, didn't they? They had like super yeah. amounts of storage on it. But yeah, the third party ones for the GameCube 
Logic 3 seems to be the ones that we push the most because they didn't delete your saves. Unlike the, the N64 ones. Yeah, oh, the PS2 N64 one, one was terrible, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the Magic Gate technology, whatever that was on the PS2. But um, hmm. yeah, the, the GameCube third-party ones, not bad. So yeah. And I don't know about all the use, but because I bought various games like Four Swords Adventures and Crystal Chronicles and a few others, I ended up with a drawer full of GBA Advance attachment cables. Yeah, um, yeah me too. Purple, purple cords. I think I had six or seven at one stage. I don't know oh. how. I think they were sending them out for free at one point. Um, you were yeah. getting, you were definitely getting one or two with a game, like at yeah. the points. You know, yeah. you definitely get those. I have, I still have a bunch of those too. Used them about my... twice each. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. It, yeah. It was kind of my dream to have uh, like four GBAs around and four link cables and play stuff like Four yeah. Swords Adventures and, and Crystal Chronicles and, and Pac-Man Versus. But uh, yeah, I never uh, could achieve that dream. I really did love Crystal Chronicles. We played a lot of that in college. But um, but again, it it was never the dream of four people getting together and doing it all the time never really panned out. And when it did, it no. was uh, yeah, it was like you'd end up tied together in a sort of cat's cradle kind of situation exactly yeah uh, sadly yeah. you know we we got the crystal chronicles remaster and it really kind of didn't yeah. do much but it would have been it would be so much easier to play now than it was back then in in many yeah. ways and remotely yeah. as well of course but yeah I, I did play it with two players and it was fun but yeah getting three or four together was as usual impractical even then yeah we made yeah. sure we did it every time i went up to coventry we made sure we did a round or two of pac-man versus and four swords what a game and yeah, Pac-Man yeah. Versus is just classic. Can play that on Switch um, now as well, of course, which is great. Oh, uh, yeah, nice. Yeah, um, I, lo- I love the GBA link cable. Like, you can do it in Wind Waker, the Tingles um, sets, yeah. uh, bomb sensory yeah. thing. Yeah, played some of that. Me- Tetris Trackers. The Tingle Tuner. Tetris Trackers, yes. yeah. Tingle Tuner, that's it. And you walk yeah. into the room, you get your own little <laughs> exclusive map, and you can yeah. bomb the walls. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. So Talking awesome. about creepy, <laughs> creepy men. That uh, invite you around to play games with them. That's Tingle. Never accept anybody's invitation to play with a Tingle Tuner. Never, <laughs> never do that. <laughs> uh, the other one I just wanted to mention, even though it's kind of an ongoing concern, but it is still a GameCube controller, right? The Smashbox, hmm. which is uh, uh, well, I don't know if it is still an ongoing concern, but it was uh, it was developed a few years ago. Uh, there was a, a According to Wikipedia, there's uh, the picture they're showing is a, is a 2017 revision. It's effectively a kind of high end Smash Brothers melee controller for pros, where yeah. it translates the analog stick movements into digital button movements, which I guess works if that's what you're after. But also gives you the option to have the C stick translated to buttons and the D pad translated to buttons. Everything's buttons, right? It's a big box. Looks completely devoid of fun to me, but it is what it is. You know, it's, it will serve a purpose. Um, I never, I never seen that before. Haven't you? Oh, that's no. interesting. No, yeah. that was you'll see them at tournaments as well, yeah. right? Yeah, I see the occasional article or video about it. But yeah, yes, I think they a lot of tournament scenes in melee uh, banned it for uh, right giving you unfair advantage. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, it's always going to be an issue. Hmm. Talking about remote play, there were some online services for the GameCube because. Yeah, 2001, 2002, there was a broadband adapter and a dial-up modem adapter. Eight GameCube games support network connectivity, five with internet and three with LAN supports. The only internet-capable games released in Western territories are the three role-playing games, Fantasy Star Online Episode 1 and 2, Fantasy Star Online Episode 1 and 2 Plus, and 
Fantasy Star Online Episode 3, Card Revolution. The official servers were decommissioned in 2007, but players can still connect to fan-maintained private servers. I don't know if that's still the case even now that you can play Fancy Star on Xbox and PC and stuff like that, but it wouldn't surprise me. There were two in, uh, additional games with internet capability in Japan, a cooperative RPG called Homeland and a baseball game with DLC, uh, which I th- I'm guessing is by Konami because it's called Jikyo Powerful Pro Yaku 10. Hmm. But I could be that wrong. That makes sense. Three racing games have LAN modes, 1080 Avalanche, Kirby Air Ride, and Double Dash. These three games can be forced over the internet with third-party PC software. Uh, Warp Pipe, is that the name? Yep. Yeah, Yeah. we talked about it a lot we on the Double Dash did. episode. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I never had internet capabilities with my GameCube, and I didn't feel the need. Some online Mario Kart would have been exciting but it was only a couple of years away with ds anyway mm. mm-hmm. yeah never took my cube or my panny q online <laughs> <laughs> uh, there weren't loads of format specific magazines around by this point but i just want to shout out to ngc magazine uh, it was the uh, the successor to n64 magazine and i i, I successfully predicted what they were going to rename it because it just made perfect sense because the the logo kind of fit uh the n64 becoming the ngc that was the the future publishing one which was kind of the yeah long-term successor to super play there was also still an official nintendo magazine around at this point i think uh yeah any other cube, cube mag- was there as cube was there as well it was okay. simply called cube right uh, an old uh, old buddy of mine uh martin Mathers used to write for that oh, okay was that published yeah. where was that where was that published uh, it was a UK magazine and a UK publisher. Yeah, um, I remember seeing Cube on the shelves. I remember yeah, I seeing it. Yeah, I couldn't quickly run to uh, one of my magazine boxes and check the publisher. If you no, it's if fine. You're so inclined. We could Google yeah. it, or we could let people wonder. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, just as there was uh, NCC Four magazine, uh, uh, as far as UK Max went, uh, there was also. A magazine simply called 64 Magazine. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm pretty sure that Cube was uh, the uh, follow-up Makes to sense. that. Yeah. Right. Any other uh, particular forums on the time that people were, you guys were habiting or, or, or resources? Brian, were you buying, I don't know, was it still stuff like EGM and... Yeah, I so at that point like I said I had just gotten access to decent internet. So I was I was just um discovering forums and things like that. I I really was a pretty plain Jane um uh IGN and one up at the time was yeah, where sure. I spent a lot of my time. Um uh eventually finding my way kind of into more niche stuff for uh, that. But but no not, not so much paper magazines for me, but I got uh I I watched so many videos on IGN video uh oh. the the their Back when there used to be a delineation mm. there, and, um, and super grainy yeah, resolutions. That yep, exactly. Was, would have taken was, a while to download. Were you early broadband days? Maybe by two thousand two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could. Down, I would download them. On, I would use a computer at the library at the college and download the videos onto them and see if I could get the same computer terminal every time I went there. So uh, yeah. I remember there being a, a Dutch website called Cube Zone. That uh, had uh, mm. pretty decent writing on it and everything. And yeah. I, I used to enjoy mm. visiting it and re- reading the comments uh, on articles and stuff like Just that. Just on the internet for the articles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I remember, I believe, I think, running into Darren before we knew each other on yes. NTSC UK mm-hmm. forum. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was, um, I put a post on about how disappointing Animal Crossing looked in terms of it being a non-Nintendo game. Uh-huh. Uh, there was a big, big thread on there about how really? I was a bit like, oh, what, what are they doing? They've got a new system out and Animal Crossing just didn't appeal to me at all and what I wanted from Nintendo. Yeah, it's like, it's it's really, it's my writing, so it's not the best. And even back then when I was more naive and stupid, it was like, the writing on it is terrible. It's just like, yeah, but it's, I still, NTSC UK was a very good place at that time. It was um, mm. pretty nice and friendly, even if you were getting into scuffles and that, you could still come yeah. out the other side and, you know, mutually agree to disagree, so to speak. It was chummier than Edge and Rollmuck. Yeah, yeah. I Less was, hostile. Was yeah. Yeah. And I think I was also Planet GameCube. You know, like every website Ooh. had a Planet something like Planet Quake. Oh Planet yeah, Half-Life, I do remember. Planet I remember GameCube. Planet GameCube. Yeah, yeah it was it was half oh. decent. That was nice. You were probably hanging out there together without even knowing <laughs> it all those years ago. This is the point in the Common Soul special where we get stuck into the mighty library of the machine in question. As always, we have to stress we don't have time to go in depth in on these games, and we may very well not mention a game that you wanted us to in particular at all because the GameCube had around 653 titles released for it during its six-year lifespan which is not the biggest library of any console but it's still too many for us to talk about individually if ever you want us to talk about a particular game when we come to do a platform special keep an eye on our forum canorinse.com forum And if you post in the upcoming console special thread, then more than likely that will prompt us to talk about something. So first off, I want to point you to a bunch of games that we've already covered that are either GameCube exclusive or featured on the GameCube. Kane and Rinse podcast, you can find all these at kaneandrinse.com or on Spotify. We have covered the first Pikmin. We've covered Resident Evil 4 twice. We definitely don't need to talk about that one again. Resident Evils 2, 3, and Code Veronica, all on the GameCube as well, of course. Metal Gear Solid, The Twin Snakes, we talked about in that show, and also in our epic interview with Dennis Dyack. Luigi's Mansion, we've covered. Eternal Darkness, Sanity's Requiem. The Legend of Zelda series, so we've covered The Wind Waker, Twilight Princess, and Four Swords Adventures. Soul Calibur 2, we did a Soul Calibur series show. Beautiful Joe, we've covered. Super Mario Sunshine in our Super Mario series. Animal Crossing, Although, you know, we may go back to that at some point to talk about New Horizons and so on. Tony Hawk's Pro Skaters 3 and 4 on the GameCube. We've talked about them in a series show. Resident Evil 2002 Remake and Zero. Burnout 2 Point of Impact. Even got a mention earlier. Super Monkey Ball 2 again. 1 and 2. Beyond Good and Evil. Uh, Mario Kart Double Dash. Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. Wave Race Blue Storm. 1080 Avalanche. Donkey Konga Trilogy. WarioWare. The Mega Party Games version one of my multiplayer favourites, Chibi Robo, Killer7, Super Smash Bros. Melee, Crazy Taxi, which was ported to GameCube, of course, and Def Jam, Fight for NY. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) McKeel's your man there. (laughs) Steve Norman from the forum says, my wife bought me a GameCube the Christmas after launch, but as much as I appreciated getting it, I'd never really wanted one. And apart from a bit of Wave Race and Resident Evil Zero, I barely touched it. And it was soon lost to a couple of house moves and forgotten. It finally reappeared when we moved to our current house about five years ago. I was a different gamer 
and I've loved it ever since. I've also spent those years curating and collecting the best of the system, from Luigi's Mansion to Wind Waker and Beautiful Joe to F-Zero GX and about 25 other games in between. I found my number three favourite game ever in Resident Evil 4 and even developed a soft spot for Mario Sunshine. It took me a while, but it's without doubt one of the best Christmas presents I ever received. Merry belated Christmas, Steve. <laughs> nice. Launch titles. Well, Japan got three. That was it. Luigi's Mansion, Wave Race Blue Storm and Super Monkey Ball. In North America, as usual, a few licensed titles and sports games were added. We had All-Star Baseball 2002. Batman Vengeance. Uh, Dave Mirror Freestyle BMX 2. Disney's Tarzan Untamed. What? Uh, Madden NFL 2002. NHL Hits 2002. Rogue Leader. Now that's a, now that's a game. Okay. NHL Hits 2002 is a video game. Midway, <laughs> right? So that's oh, a spiritual yes. successor to NBA Jam, but on the ice. Absolutely. It's it's a very familiar, if anybody's familiar with PlayStation 1, NHL Rock the Rink. It's very similar. Okay. Three on three. Or NFL Blitz, I guess. Uh, yeah, NFL Blitz or, or even NBA Jam in a lot of ways. It is just an arcade uh, my friends and I still get together and play rounds of NHL hits 2002 and 2003. It's a it's a fantastic. If you're if you're looking for arcade sports title, that's nice. that's about as good as you can get on the on the on the on the uh, platform. Excuse me. Thanks. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. It's just it's it's so fast and frenetic and like hyper violent in the way you want cartoony sports games to be. You yeah. know, yeah, uh, yeah. but not but not over the top in the way like a blitz, like where you'd kind of like hit people after the after the play and things like this is just more because hockey is much like a game of football where it's you know it's just constantly moving back and forth mm, on the field and, and, and in this case on the ice yeah it's it's really it's really something special I, I i have a huge soft spot for that game so in europe we also got uh 2002 fifa world cup uh, bloody raw primal fury is that one of your yeah. is that one of your fighting games of choice on the gamecube mikhil yeah, definitely. I bought that uh, quite early. Uh, later sold off to buy uh, Soul Calibur 2. Uh, but I recently rebought it again because uh, even though it's not uh, in the uh, upper echelon of 3D fighters, sure. it's still plenty fun, actually. It's still pretty damn solid. And it has, of course, you know, if it is maybe the most uh, accomplished in the, the Bloody Roar series. Okay. And it's just. It's just kind of fun, you know, like they uh, are fun the, beast, the beast transformations. Very and, silly, uh, and all that indeed. Madness. Yeah, they don't exactly. take themselves at all seriously. No, yeah. and since I got myself a uh, GameCube connected to connect my PS4 arcade sticks to, I uh, was looking for more um, GameCube games again that I could make proper use of uh, with that. Yeah, very good. We got Cell Damage, which was a sort of cartoon-looking cart game. Was it? It's more like yeah. um, Twisted Metals kind of thing, right? Okay, Com car, car combat, combat. Yeah. right. Car yeah. combat, but more with uh, like uh, gigantic cartoon hammers and, and right. bus saws and that sort <laughs> of yeah. stuff, you know? Yeah. yeah. But it got really bad reviews at the time, it, I remember. Yeah, I skipped it. Dave Mirror, Freestyle BMX 2. Uh, does Disney's Tarzan Freeride, I assume that's the renamed version of Untamed. It must be. It must I, be. I can't, can't imagine be. them doing two different games. <laughs> uh, Donald, Donald Duck Quack Attack, you've already mentioned it. Don't I'm sorry. Driven, don't remember <laughs> that one. ESPN International Winter Sports, I guess it was a Winter Olympics year, 2002. 
Uh, ISS2, so by this point I'd already moved over to the Pro Evo PES series where the two series had split, so I skipped ISS2. Sonic Adventure 2 Battle, because this was the start of uh, the era of Sega bringing some of their more recent Dreamcast titles over to uh, current gen platforms that weren't there. That, that game sold really well. Like, yeah. Whenever it hit the shelves, it was gone. Within, right. Really? A minute, huh. Yeah. Uh, people were Jones in for battle. <laughs> it was also just really crazy to see things like Super Monkey Ball and Sonic Adventure appear on the GameCube. Yeah, it took yeah. a while. I mean, it's it? crazy to see yeah. Sega games on the other systems as well, mm. but especially Nintendo, yeah. considering the uh, long, you know, uh, long-lasting rivalry the two companies. We had. were still yeah, what ended up making four years F Zero game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, four, we were four years away from Sonic and Mario. Uh, being in the same game, I guess that was two, was that two thousand six their first Olympic meeting on the Wii in Brawl, yeah, uh, no, no, no two thousand seven probably, yeah, maybe. Well, no, that's not Olympic year anyway, is it? Uh, anyway, yes, <laughs> we, we we weren't quite there. Also, X XG three Extreme G Racing, which was is that that was the sequel to some N sixty four games. Yeah, I loved yeah. Uh, the Extreme G and Extreme G two on sixty four. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever played the GameCube title though. No. So I think I think it was uh, it got pretty decent reviews mm. and and I didn't I thought I always thought even though I was uh, my brother had a PlayStation I had an N64 I always thought of the Extreme G games as kind of a lame Me Too wipeout clone. I, I yeah, did, yeah. and maybe that's unfair. Yeah. They, they, yeah. they are they are pretty decent though. Like you know, it's got a claim on the front, so you kind of go oh straight away. But you stick them on, and it's like yeah, they just no, these are all right. Like you know, if you couldn't play wipeout because you had a um, an N64. Extreme yeah, G was decent. Yeah, I think I actually have more nostalgia for Extreme G because of that than Wipeout, just because that was what was available to me on the console. Uh, that yeah, I had. and then Wipeout came to the 64 in the end, but that was right. way later exactly. on. Right? Yep. <clears throat> oh, and um, I'm going to talk about Simon Sloth, our, our lovely chum friend. He sure. bought a copy of Universal Studios recently, within the last month. <laughs> Theme Park like, Adventure. I just bought. And I was just like, why? And he goes, I just look good. And I was like, it's really not. <laughs> but he left it at the hotel. He was talking to me on Xbox. He's like, I left my copy of Universal Studios at the hotel. I was like, what happened? Yeah, they rang me up. They said they'd um, they posted me. They posted it to me. And his reply was, don't bother. It would cost more to post it than it actually would for me to buy another one. Yeah. So he just, there's just a copy of Universal Studios sitting in a hotel somewhere. Yeah. That's just... Uh, that game to me is a is a strange, strange thing because it's just a bunch of pre-rendered scenes like of Universal Studios, and it's an ex- GameCube exclusive. <laughs> like, what is going on? Yeah, uh, I got know. absolutely slated as well by the magazines. I mean, nowadays it'd have Nintendo Zone, so maybe they should make a sequel. Mm. <laughs> Get on it. Yeah. So let's have a look at the commercial smashes on the GameCube. Well, it's probably not surprising that actually the top seller was not a specifically Mario game or Zelda even uh, for once on a Nintendo system or even James Bond. This time it was all the Nintendo characters. Well, actually, what? how big was the roster on Melee? Not that massive, was it? Bigger than the original. 16, is it? Yeah, it's pretty... I think something like that. Pretty limited. 7.41 million copies, which is not too bad. Double Dash came in second with just under 7 million. Then Super Mario Sunshine with 6 million, which for a mainline Mario game is not the best. 
Wind Waker came in at fourth with 4.4 million. These are some pretty low numbers for mm. top 10 best-selling games on a console, to be honest. Luigi's Mansion, yeah. 3.3 million. Metroid Prime, which had absolutely stellar reviews from everyone, pretty much, 2.84 million. Animal Crossing was a late hit and arrived in the West and certainly in Europe very late, 2.71 million. Then out of the, the last three in the top 10 are two Mario Party games, four and five, and Pokemon Coliseum, which was the follow-up to the mm. Pokemon Stadium games. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of love for Coliseum. Um, you, you know, you look around online, it's like, mate, Pokemon Coliseum is probably like people's favourite Mm. transfer sort of game if you know what i mean where you yeah. put your pokemon yep. into a game and watch them fight on the big screen i'm guessing the graphics were a big old upgrade on the mm. n64 yeah. one that's that's how i got into pokemon in general I, i'm a pretty big pokemon fan now but i never mm. had a game boy or game boy color to oh, play right. it as a kid but with the game boy player i had friends in college that were transferring their pokemon and fighting with them in coliseum it was pretty it was pretty impressive at the time it was kind of my gateway into the whole thing and just as a point of order, just kind of looked it up. There were 25 uh, fighters in Smash Melee. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Way more than we said. Sorry, Sma- Sorry, Melee fans. <laughs> we're going to be... Can you believe they said 16? It's not as Noobs. many as uh, as Ultimate, is it? Let's be honest. No. I'm quite I'm quite intrigued to know or learn how much Time Spitters 2 sold on the GameCube, because that was mm. my place of choice for Time Spitters 2, because mm. it had the snappiness of the of the, um, sure. the C-Stick. It had a lot of spring movement on that kind of right stick. I got it on Xbox that. because of the hard drive, because of the creator level stuff, and then Very never used stuff. it. Yeah. But, <laughs> but. <laughs> and, you know, also it's a GoldenEye spiritual successor yes. on an internet platform. There's a logic, so. but I bet yeah. you it sold by far the most copies on PS2, because everything oh, I've done. Everything yeah. did, yeah. Joe Bobonobo from our forum says, I first heard about the GameCube back when it was known as Project Dolphin in a small text box in the news section of N64 magazine. From my enlightened 12-year-old perspective, I remember thinking, who needs new consoles? 3D gaming is here. We have already reached the peak of excellence in graphics. (laughs) I also remember thinking this while on the same page as the Project Dolphin report was a preview screenshot of Mario Party 3 with that infamously goofy model of Donkey Kong included. Yeah, at one point, I unironically thought this was as good as graphics can get. What can I say? I was a daft bugger as a kid. I was also proven wrong instantly when I saw screenshots of the atmospheric Luigi's Mansion and the breathtaking Rogue Leader, and it was then that I became a full convert to the next generation of gaming. The launch lineup was interesting, but I decided to wait until Super Mario Sunshine was released to actually buy the GameCube. Super Mario 64 was a landmark game for me in terms of how it changed my outlook on what games can do, and I always wanted to see what the follow-up to that could accomplish. The big day came, and I got the lovely, sleek, black GameCube, which I thought was a lot more dignified-looking than the purple default. The controller was unconventional yet inviting, with its unmissable giant A button and its more convenient C-Stick getup. It was later titles that really showed me what an upgrade the GameCube was in terms of power, Metroid Prime was my first ever Metroid title and the sheer scale and ambition of that would have been severely scaled back if it was on the N64. I was also converted to the timeless wonder of cel-shaded graphics thanks to its stunning use in Legend of Zelda Wind Waker. Even the simple arts and crafts world of Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door looked so much more luscious and crisp than the N64 original and Melee was such an improvement on the original Smash Brothers in every way that it's silly. 
I even got an introduction to RTS Lite gameplay through the wonderful Pikmin series. Nintendo was also not afraid to get weird in this generation, with such bizarre titles as Doshin the Giant, Chibi Robo, Odama, and Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. Titles. Oh, the Giant. Sorry. <laughs> we're, hold your horses. We'll get there. Titles which I sadly missed out on and which have definitely encouraged me to hold on to the console so I can experience these unique games. Multiplayer with the GameCube was just as legendary as it was with the N64, with countless college nights dedicated to Melee, Soul Calibur 2, Double Dash, F Zero GX, WarioWare, and of course, Super Monkey Ball. Monkey Target alone made those games among the true highlights of the console. The GameCube was a strange transitional period for Nintendo. It was truly the last traditional console they made, with many series aimed at hardcore Nintendo fans having a strong showing here, such as Zelda, Metroid, Fire Emblem and F-Zero becoming instant classics among the fanbase. But there were also elements of the more casual side appearing, with the appearance of DK Bongos, more multiplayer-focused party games such as the aforementioned WarioWare having a larger presence on the console, and the debut of Animal Crossing in the West indicating that the focus of the Wii did not come out of nowhere for Nintendo. For me personally, the loss of Rareware to Microsoft was somewhat of a punch in the gut back in the day, as the potential of seeing what they could have done on the GameCube only got partially realised with the alright Star Fox Adventures. But thankfully, slightly stronger third-party support and more RPGs during the time of the GameCube meant that it was not as reliant on first and second party developers as its predecessor. But clearly for Nintendo this was not sustainable and they had to think outside of typical conventions to stand a chance in this changing market. It was the end of an era for the company for sure, but it was also the start of some of the company's biggest success stories, such as Fire Emblem entering the West and Smash Brothers becoming one of their most beloved franchises. For me, the GameCube was a fine and important console that laid the foundation for what Nintendo is today, but far from Nintendo's final good console, just one great console among many from the company. Um, another thing that I learned about the GameCube today is yeah. that the um, someone, I think it was Sega or some company, they were very kind of intimidated by Nintendo's um, motion tech that yeah. they were building for the GameCube, which mm. they obviously later put into the Wii. So hmm. it could have been... It could have been a completely different story if they released the Wii Remote style thing for the GameCube. Because yeah, yeah and uh, yeah, luckily they, GameCube they parked sports. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, um, mm. but yeah, it's, it's, it's that post is brilliant. It sums it. It sums it all up. It's just an absolutely lovely bit of um, gaming, isn't work. it? Really? Yes. Top work, Jobo. Well done. Some of the other highest rated games on the console. Reviews-wise, uh, uh, include Metroid Prime and Metroid Prime 2 Echo, slightly less mm. so. We are currently, we've just started our Metroid series. We will get to the Metroid Prime games. But uh, yeah, Metroid Prime 1 for me, it certainly, I bounced off of Echoes a couple of times. But mm. Metroid Prime 1 for me was probably my favorite single GameCube experience, I would say. I it's So I've got a bunch that I was, I was kind of making a list of, of what, games mean a lot to me from the GameCube and it just kept coming around to that first Metroid Prime game. It's just something about the sense of like adventure and discovery, mm. taking that Metroid formula and blasting it out into a 3D space really just, mm. there's something about it that just worked on a, it just and from the minute that you set foot as like everything just feels right behind the helmet of Sam and you're just it just, to that first smooth animation into the morph ball to every, it just that game is still just so cool to play. I recently played through the first one again on the 
I had the 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 trilogy they keep they keep teasing for the Switch <laughs> that has now come out yet. I have it on the Wii. Um, and I, I recently played through Metroid Prime One, and that game just holds up as just a real, just a testament to 3D open world design. It's it's really really neat. Yeah, it's um for me, it's as important as uh, Mario 64 is to its 2D you know mm, prequels. Yeah. Like it's, Metroid Prime is like, no, this is what you, this is how you put Metroid in 3D. Yeah. The only thing that I wouldn't translate over is the control scheme. I know it's a very controversial thing, but like. When you got a right stick sitting there and you have to hold down a shoulder button to look around, it felt a little bit kind of cumbersome. Right. But yeah. it did give off this kind of like our friend um, Richard Richard Davidson, follow my ruin. He likes the cumbersome nature of Samus and maybe not so the the new nimble version mm-hmm. and that kind of clunky control mechanic fed into that Samus, you know, mm-hmm. in a hulking great spacesuit sure. vibe. So I, I I learned to deal with it, but it was a it was a tricky one to um to get my head around. Pikmin 2, well, we've covered the first Pikmin on the podcast and we may well get to the second one. Yeah, Pikmin Be- 2 is, uh, is great. Beautiful. It's, uh, yeah. you know, it's a more streamlined and more accessible version of the first one. You know, it, it goes places. And uh, yeah, I if I was to pick any of the, the, the main three games to choose from, I'd probably go for 2 as like being the... My favourite, really. It, it, it pushes the um, it pushes the boundaries, man. It's uh, it's not as ridiculously hard as the first one, and whereas uh, the, I found the third one to be a lot easier. I, I feel like two kind of hits a, a bit of the middle ground, and uh, the the three deluxe on the Switch is even easier. Like they've made it so yeah, I heard accessible. Yeah. Uh, it, like the playtime on that one was like a third off. I was like, I can't believe I'm at the end already. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but Pikmin two, I'd happily play it again and uh, you know wallow in some. Pikmin noises. Yeah, those dungeons are proper challenging in Pikmin yeah. too. Yeah, good. Now, we haven't even begun to cover this series of future races yet. Someday, I'm sure we will. Uh, but I know for many, as important as the original F-Zero was to the SNES, and to an extent, F-Zero X was, uh, was a smash on the N64, but it was, uh, mm. for many people, when they got Sega involved with uh, yeah. the man behind Monkey Ball... <laughs> Uh, yeah. F-Zero GX kind of, yeah, smashed it out the park. It's probably the game that I've spent the most time with. out Because it's so on, hard. <laughs> on the platform, yeah, it is. It is um, well out. But I, um, so, so incredibly satisfying yeah. that every time you play it, yeah. you get a little bit better. And, and, and playing, like, you compare how you were playing one week ago, you, you're doing things that you thought were absolutely impossible. Yeah, I I still think it's it's my favorite uh, sense of speed conveyance from any oh, game. Yeah. The Probably. way that this, the, the so way this game feels once feels, you're yeah. when you're going at a clip, and and the way that you always feel like you're just about to lose it, but yet you're still completely in control. It's it's man. I could I guess I could talk for a long time on F Zero GX. I lost my memory card um, progress for it. Oh no! I've talked to you about that, Leon, before. No. Um, yeah, I know it's tough. Someday, um, that, someday we'll slowly cover it. working my way back through it. Um, someday but, we'll uh, do it. Yeah, I, yeah I, it's one a, of those games, one of few games where I actually regret not not owning it anymore. I used to own it, and I don't now. One of the few yeah. GameCube games I've still got left. You know, it's, yeah. it, it's still there, and I've got no reason to ever move it because one day I want to get eye strain again. And other than on. Wii, there's no there's no other way to play it, right? You know, it's not. No. I, I wish no. I wish they could somehow sort it out to release uh, a Switch version, but I don't. I'd go as far as saying. That uh, F-Zero, F-Zero GX is not just one of the greatest racing games of all time. It's uh, one of the greatest games of all time, regardless of genre. 
I just think Nintendo are scared of it because it is ridiculously hard. Like, if you put yeah. that in front of a Switch audience, mm. I don't think they'd get the reach. So everyone's clamoring for it, but I don't think people would actually go out and buy it. It's just one of those ones, isn't it? Oh, I really love F-Zero. All right, and we'll make one and see what happens. And then, oh, actually, it's really hard. Oh, the reviews come out. It's too hard for me. And, it, well, you know, we'll see. Cause, Still, you know, with just, Dread, they've they've shown recently say. that they're willing to put a challenge at people's yeah. feet again. And that yeah, seems definitely. to be going down pretty well overall. So we shall see. But, yes, maybe mm. they should test the water with a super... Uh, 1080p HD re-release of oh, oh. GX, and then Just don't change yeah. anything and except for the visuals. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> exactly. yeah. yeah. Another series that we have begun and will come back to for sure is Paper Mario. Certainly, even if we don't go on to do the future games in the series, which have been, I think, it's fair to say, a bit patchier. Paper mm. Mario: The Thousand Year Door, which was the the one and only GameCube entry, is often talked about the most fondly of the whole series mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think that um it's the it's the true sequel to to super mario rpg that i always mm. wanted um i i go back and forth on oh, which great. game i actually enjoy the most um they have different sensibilities for sure and and i say the lack of square uh being involved but um it really does take the spirit of the original uh, the super mario rpg from the right. snes and and just kind of capitalizes it on mm. with all that nintendo charm um I'm going to talk a lot about for about a few first few games that we we we're mentioning here, and I'll I'll be a little more quiet later. But there's there's something about Paper Mario: The Thousand Year Door. I just I I keep coming back to that game. I keep wanting to go back through it, seeing the characters, playing through the little comedic sections. You see all the nuts and bolts of the I mean of where the Mario and Luigi series came and went from. It just it's just such a complete package of a video game. Um, can't say enough good things about. It's that on the one. short list next year volume 11 so bear that in mind could happen yeah it's brilliant i've loved well i say i loved i've loved the series from start to finish there's been some real stinkers in there but thousand year door i've played it once and it's left a massive massive impression in my brain to the Mm. point where if i was to play it again i'd pretty much remember most of it because it's just one of those games just like oh my god like how did they make such a such a, a phenomenal yeah. sequel to Paper Mario. And, um, you know, I, I believe Origami King is probably, you know, a close third in the in the, in the lineage of it all, like in personal preference. But I think Thousand Year Door, much like F-Zero GX, is the pinnacle of the series. I, it's one of those games where I can't, I cannot view the others in the series as objectively as I'd want to, just because I have such fondness for it. It's, I just <laughs> want, I want game, I want the next Paper Mario game to just be, the you know the two thousand year door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's not that's not fair. It's not, but it's just that's that's I just love it should, that much. They should re-release this and get some get some sales for it, like because it's not even in the top fifteen sales is it? in terms of like um, millions. I think of it was sold. just it was... outside the top ten, possibly. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I bought uh, it when it came out. I still haven't played it. Sorry, I will for the show. It's still good. It's only twenty years <laughs> ago. Uh, it would still look good, right, on a Switch, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. for sure. That's the cool thing about the Paper Mario aesthetic, right? It it, it does yeah, kind of totally. have uh, a yeah, timeless, uh, you know. I was around old, uh, our our buddies uh, Nick Suiters, old Suits. I was around his house there a little while ago now, and he was playing it, and he was playing it on a thing called a PVM. PVM yes. Oh my god, it's yeah. like a little diorama in your house. <laughs> I wanted to climb in it. It looked amazing. <laughs> GameCube via PVM is probably the optimal, oh, isn't it? It's, just, it's filth. Oh, honestly, for that era. Uh, 
Yeah. I had to walk away. I was like, no, I'm not looking at it anymore. It yeah, too nice. I nearly bought I nearly bought a PVM off him when he upgraded, but I just mm. ha- again I had to say no. Oh, it's lush. Someday maybe. Uh, we covered Tales of Vesperia, but perhaps uh, again one of the most fondly talked about entries in the the Tales of series is Symphonia, which is I think probably quite an expensive one to buy now, but. Uh, it's a game that, again, I think, as I mean, they did Vesperia HD one generation on. Why not do a Symphonia HD for 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 more more recent systems? I don't know. Mm. <clears throat> Symphonia got some sort of uh, pseudo sequel, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do that sometimes with with the Tales games. If 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 yeah. one, a bit like Final Fantasy. They'll do, they'll do a, a, a less development-intensive direct follow-up. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, Fantasy Star Online, obviously, effectively Dreamcast conversions, uh, but uh, with uh, subscription, I believe, and, yeah, online play if you had the, had the capacity. Fire Emblem Path of Radiance has gone down in Legend. Actually, this would go along with F-Zero GX as a, another regret that I sold at some point. I don't think I got mm. terrible money for it, but it was nothing like what it goes for now, I suspect. I think you've got a copy of this, McKeel, haven't you? Yeah, I got a free review copy back when I was working for uh, this magazine's website. And uh, it uh, ended up in good hands, I'd say, because yes. I got a lot of playtime out of, of it. Course. And my even my wife, who doesn't give two flying Fs about video <laughs> games uh, anymore, was uh, playing it late into you know the the, the morning hours. Still, the sun came oh. up, and then my brother-in-law stayed with us for a while. He had a safe game on there, so yeah, there's a lot of hours that went into that particular version. It's interesting how many of those people who swear they don't like video games, you give them a one good video game, and they can't put it down. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, she was she was playing till four in the morning, and that. I had to go to the office in the next day, the, on the next day, and and she was waking me up. Michiel, Michiel, you know what just happened? I met this uh, general who was like a friend of Ike's father, and blah blah blah. She was uh, going into story details. I had no idea what was going. Video on. games are so stupid and rubbish, though. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we've already mentioned a few like uh, Sonic Adventure Two and Crazy Taxi, but a couple of more perhaps uh, cult concerns among the Dreamcast conversions. Uh, this was the first machine outside of the Dreamcast or an arcade, I think, to get uh, a version of Ikaruga, the uh, the treasure black and white based shoot 'em up. You can now play this on almost any format, right up to the most recent ones, which is fantastic because you know it's a, it is a cult classic. It's a Marmite game again. It's uh, it's extremely yeah, it's demanding. very black and white. It is indeed. Say. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But um, this very was very polarizing a... opinions. Get out. Uh, this is a <laughs> this is a cool version, but sadly the PAL version did not have a sixty hertz option. I guess that's why you imported it, right? Yeah, I, I wasn't even aware that the PAL version didn't. I have don't a think it does option. Yeah. But uh, I just uh, saw it at some guy's website for uh, yeah an affordable yeah. price. I thought like, hey, that would be fun. That and the GameCube boxes are much better than nice ja- yeah. Japanese, Japanese GameCube, GameCube boxes. boxes. Yeah. I've oh, just got yeah, the very one. cute little box. I've only got the yeah. one, which is Nintendo Puzzle Collection, which is actually a com- compilation of conversions from earlier generation Nintendo oh, puzzle yeah. games. Oh, yeah. But uh, nice. but it's it's still my favourite version of Panel de Pond. So you know, although you can play that on Switch now via the SNES player, yeah. but anyway, anyway. 
Uh, and the other was that I wanted to mention there was uh, Sega's Skies of Arcadia Legends, which was a sort of uh, a rebalanced, slight, almost remaster, maybe you could say, of Skies of Arcadia. It, they, they, they dialed down the random encounters and things like that to make it, I believe, the definitive version, although I'm sure some people swear by the original. Both versions, I think, are quite expensive to buy now. Be a fun one to, for us to cover. It's been recommended a few times. Anyone play that? No. Okay. There was some, as we said, maybe somewhat sometimes compromised, but ultimately very solid but and well-regarded versions of multi-format hits. There was the Prince of Persia Sands of Time trilogy. Each one of those games was less well-received than the previous one, but the, the first one was uh, well-loved at the time, probably led into the Assassin's Creed trilogy. Uh, trilogy? <laughs> Franchise. Hitman 2, Silent Assassin was the only Hitman 2, uh, Hitman game on the GameCube, but I remember NGC Magazine absolutely raving about uh, the GameCube version of Hitman 2. Probably, again, I ha I can't compare the, the multiple versions and you can play it on absolutely everything now, I think. But at the time, that was a pretty cool kind of game to get for on a Nintendo console, right? Especially after the N64 mm. had been starved of so many kind of, of those kinds of games. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the idea of just Hitman being on console anyway was, mm. you know, because it was always a PC thing. The first, first one was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, yeah, to see it on a Nintendo console really was the kind of the first kind of generation where it felt like, ironically, despite it being considered a kid's console, that Nintendo was growing up. That's right. And uh, yeah, the I think Hitman 2, um, at the time, like I think people would steer you more towards the modern Hitman 2 or 3 now. But at the time, Hitman 2 actually offered a lot of the gameplay kind of flexibility and invent invention that the the new hitman games offered so it was uh, it was it was well liked by a certain kind of player and similarly in terms of sneaking about tom clancy's splinter cell the trilogy from that generation of uh, the original and pandora tomorrow and chaos theory again you probably get graphically more uh, out of it on the xbox and and, mm -hmm. and audio as well but if you had a gamecube and didn't have the other generation machines then yeah why not i th i think they uh, only came out on xbox and gamecube right ps2 uh didn't get the splinter cell games if i recall correctly they got the first the one, first one yeah the first not, one they did maybe not the second yeah. two right okay. oh man the, the spies versus mercs oh, oh you okay. loved it That's... yeah oh my god it's amazing <laughs> asynchronous or uh, not asynchronous but a asymmetrical multiplayer asymmetrical multiplayer yeah yeah They're obviously on the xbox because my gamecube wasn't online but yeah like I don't really like stealth games, but Splinter Cell, Pandora Tomorrow, and Chaos Theory, and Double Agent, no, not Double Agent, Conviction, and Rip the most recent one as well, like those multiplayer games. I love it. Most recent one, eight years ago. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Blacklist. Time Splitters 2 we've mentioned. Again, maybe someday we'll look at that series in a show. Yeah. Obviously. The nub is maybe not uh, ideal for... Uh, standard first-person shooter controls, mm. but I had a lot of fun with Time Splitters 2 on the GameCube. Mm, yeah, me too. And uh, it, it was probably, you know, it was not the worst system to get it on because of the four controller ports. It was uh, easy four players, yeah, split point. screen, fun without having to shelve out, uh, you know, uh, for a multi-tap or mm -hmm. an extra controllers yeah. on a system that otherwise really wouldn't use all of that much mm. of them. Mm -hmm. Fair comment indeed. As one of our correspondents mentioned earlier, this was a time that Nintendo sports games kind of bustled and thrived. 
We had follow-ups to the N64 games, the golf and the tennis in Power Tennis and Total Tour. Now, actually, there was some controversy about the gameplay, particularly in Power Tennis. And this has kind of continued as the series, the, the Camelot sports games have continued, that they've become more gimmicky and less skill-based as they've gone on. But Power Tennis still had a lot going for it, I think, and, and Toadstool yeah. Tour. Both these games have amazing CG openings. <laughs> yeah, they do, yeah. Yes, they do. <laughs> really funny. Yeah. Yeah. Mario Golf, yeah, really they're funny. looking at their reflection in the head of a driver at the beginning yeah. of that. Um, I think that Mario Golf Toadstool Tour is... is it's per- my personal favorite of the series. I, it's, a I, cool. it's it's yeah. an incredible golf game. I play. I, I'm a huge fan of golf games. Yeah, I play yeah. a lot of them, even the bad ones. And mm-hmm. um, and I think Toastal Tour is a great golf game. It also has amazingly fun multiplayer modes. There's a mode mm. that they've never revisited called Club Slots, mm. which yeah. is so much fun. Where you just a roulette wheel, so you can end up playing a par <laughs> five hole with just a pitching wedge and a putter and laughing at yeah. your friends. And uh, it's it is just such a blast to play that to play that game. We we still have before COVID, and actually now that we're all vaccinated, we've done it a couple times since. Um, I have a group of friends. Used to be four, one moved away. Three of us now will get together at least once a month and have a night of playing uh, club slots. It's oh, just, brilliant! It's oh, we and you, Mario Golf Tolstu Tour is is just cream of the crop for me when it comes to Mario Golf. Yeah, and and you could uh, grieve your opponents as well with yeah. all the stupid sound. Bites. You can spam sound effects. Yes. Oh, it's so stupid. I, w- I would, uh, I, I yeah. would always pick Luigi specifically for his griefs because yeah. he said that you are unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, Wario has and, a great one. Where he's, I'm a gonna win. Except if you, yeah. if you spam the button, it just keeps repeating. It's so like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a. <laughs> it's so dumb. It's the Luigi best, also says. Luigi also says you look. <laughs> You look ridiculous. <laughs> it's like Claudio Ranieri. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so good. So yeah, good. I, yeah, I don't really like golf games, but Mario Golf Total Tour and the series in general is, um, you know, I, I really like it. Uh, but I think Total Tour, it's a, it's a weird one to say that is. Um, yeah, I think it's my favourite of the series. It's yeah. absolutely, it's wacky in the right ways. It doesn't go too far in terms of like, it being Billy Bonkers, you know, you can you can go down pipes and then fling it out on top of a piranha plant and into the hole and stuff if you if you're good at it. Um, yeah, but really really solid like sports entries. It's around this time when I was really into um kind of like NFL Street and Super Mario Strikers and mm-hmm. that Sega Soccer Slam. Uh, those kind of like tight knit, you know, like three or four characters per team. Yeah. playing a sport non-simulation like, sports fun oh, arcadey sports yeah. what a time for arcadey sport games and uh mario strikers is just incredible and the one on the wii is it overcharged or supercharged or something like even better. charged yeah i charged. never played any of super <laughs> mario strikers is that well regarded in i like, love arcades? it man. it's yeah. uh, it's you know it's so good like we played uh, when i used to work at mastertronic that the wii one in particular but they're pretty much just you know they're pretty much cut from the same cloth it is really, really good, fun, basic soccer, as you'd want nice. to call it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. Like the, the moves you can do on it are obscene and funny. And they're yeah. all the, like Luigi in particular, he's got some amazing animations when he does all his stupidity things. Uh, check out Strikers if you ever get the chance, because it's great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's all uh, very, very fast and, uh, and violent. I. <laughs> Mario Superstar Baseball was one of the uh, well, that was one of my first GameFly games because uh-huh. uh, it was kind of later uh-huh. in the life cycle. So I started, I got a free trial of GameFly. So I I got my mini disc of Mario Superstar Baseball in the mail, and I can say that it was okay. And it that's all I have run. to <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was it was fine. I um, 
it did kind of feel like it's as we got farther in the GameCube's lifespan, they were just kind of like, what other sports can we throw yeah. these this gang into? You know, so um, I thought the baseball was just okay. I don't I don't think it held a, a candle to uh, golf or tennis though. Those were kind of the next level, the best for me. Mm. Yeah. Golf, tennis, and strikers are really good. Um, mm. Last year, we were asked by uh, Lunar Looney, who also listens to Kane Rins, uh-huh. uh, to participate in a charity stream for the Center for Computing History in Cambridge um, for this whole weekend streamathon, uh, along with some much higher profile streamers. And uh, I was thinking, you know, how do we fill this two hour slot with a couple of games? Uh, so I was playing. Um, Smash Football, aka Strikers, Mario Power Tennis, and Mario Golf Toadstool Tours together with the kids. So oh, you know, you awesome. stick to one system, so you can just pop in a new disc. You don't have to reconfigure your whole streaming setup. So yeah, we played those the three Mario Sports titles on the GameCube, mm. which, uh, which was a lot of fun. Brilliant. Mark FM 007 from our forum says the GameCube was the first console I owned. If you don't include my Game Boy Color or the various games I attempted to run on my dad's PC. I used to play plenty of games on my friends' N64s and Playstations, so I was very excited to finally have a machine of my own. I remember excitedly reading about the Dolphin in Nintendo magazines and what they were expecting to come out. I have very fond memories of afternoons spent playing games with my brother or on my own, including such classics as Wind Waker, Super Smash Bros. Melee, Simpsons Hit and Run, Mario Kart Double Dash, 007 Nightfire, the list goes on. My fondest memories are of passing the controller back and forth, playing the sometimes infuriating but mostly addictive Super Monkey Ball, sailing the seas and getting lost in the world of Wind Waker and many a game of FIFA and the surprisingly fun NFL Street 2, where I was forced to play with the broken controller until I could buy another. Seems fair as I broke it, although in my defence it was very flimsy and I haven't broken one since. Looking back, there were plenty of classics that I missed out on, such as Resident Evil 4, but I think the GameCube was an excellent console overall with a great library of games. Looked great and was easy to use. The controller is still one of my favourites with a very nice chunky feel to it and easy to use. A massive step up from the N64 controller. Coincidentally, my brother has recently been telling me how he bought a GameCube along with some of our old favourites. I might have to nip round for a game soon. Now one of the reasons that was given for the n64's commercial failure was addressed really with the gamecube yet it didn't really seem to make that much difference in the in the grand scheme of things but actually looking at metacritic a lot of the highest reviewed games on the system were third-party sports games in particular american sports I, looking down the list of the games that are in the 90s or high 80s i came across Madden's 2002 all the way through to 2006, NCAA football 2003 to 2005, NFL 2K3, then we have the NBA games 2K2 and 3, NBA Live 2004 and 5, Tiger Woods Golf 2003 and 4, MVP Baseball 2004 and 5, NHL 2K3, NHL 2004, NBA Street Trilogy, Fight Night Round 2, SSX Trilogy, which is a slightly different thing. One FIFA Soccer, or actually I, I consider that a low era for the uh, for the FIFA series. Things like NASCAR Thunder and uh, NASCAR Dirt to Daytona. And then, yeah, we mentioned like the arcade stuff like Sega Soccer Slam. There's also Aggressive Inline, 
Now, uh, I know uh, Darren McKeel may be not so huge into sports. Brian, you are a big sports guy. Yep. Uh, and a lot of these are very US-centric sports titles. Yeah, they reviewed yeah. incredibly well, a lot of these. Um, yeah, I can't. Did you can't have speak. them all? <laughs> uh, yeah no i had um so i had all the maddens that was the era where i was buying madden nfl uh, american football every year right and and honestly um the madden 2005 it sounds ridiculous to be able to single one out mm. my friend joe and i who play madden football together that's by that is by far our favorite one right um, you'll go that, to we, we we still play it on the gamecube to this still day still the key version this, right because because the quarterback has this vision cone you can move back and forth, and the C stick is perfect for it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but, <laughs> but, yeah, so, we, so, so yeah, that, that's, that's actually, I played a lot of that. Um, I played the Tiger Woods games as well. Um, uh, I played all three NBA streets, are games I, I, I find uh, that I speak very, very highly of. I, um, I, I really NBA like, Street Volume 2 was a oh, very so big good. favorite of mine. I played um, it with friends a lot, yeah. Yeah, and this is also the the console that I played uh, my SSX games on as well. Uh, I know SSX was big on PlayStation Two as yeah, well. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they were and on Xbox. Um, yeah, yeah, were they on Xbox? I yes, know, yes. I know Xbox had Amped as well. I wasn't sure. Yeah, um, but yeah, uh, no, I played all the trickies or the SSX um, games that I played were on GameCube as well. I have yeah. a huge fondness for that. So a lot of my third party purchases were sports games for sure. And yet, I also had SSX three. But I later got the uh, PS2 version. Yeah. yeah. And yet, despite all that, yeah, d even though it was so often, I remember so, you know, so like without these sports games, the, N the, the N64 will fail and it kind of did. But, you know, whatever it the GameCube also, <laughs> you know, had all those sports games yeah. and still didn't do that much better, right. really, if if not better. Did, just as a, as a general thing, it's very interesting that um, the N64 had all these long game droughts when nothing was coming yes. out because it was Nintendo and, uh, you know, Rare doing all the heavy lifting. And then the cartridge format was obviously a, a part of the, the cartridge for format. And the GameCube never had those software droughts. Something right. was always coming true. out on it. You know, there was a lot more, yeah. a lot more third party support. It's just that at this point, it didn't really matter that all that yeah. much in the long run anymore. And it's actually. For people that wanted to buy a Nintendo system, I guess it was the, th those games wouldn't wouldn't make them. Yeah, you know, Syst they're not jump system aboard. sellers. No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And all, almost all those games I just mentioned were multi-format titles. Yeah, almost exactly. All not all of them. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the fact that third parties didn't have to had carts manufactured anymore, and the the, the barrier of entry was lower means that uh, yeah for a long time the GameCube was still getting a lot of third party titles mm -hmm. other noteworthy titles obviously as I say there's a lot of titles but a few that I wanted to either mention or, or see if any of you had anything to say about jump in if you have first one that came to mind really was uh, PN03 this was one of the Capcom five or six or whatever it ended up it started off was it it was, was it started off it started off with five, five and, and that phoenix uh that phoenix was dead in the water yes yeah and, uh, ended up yeah. as yeah uh piano three i've also it, it, it's again i would say it is a uh what you'd call a cult classic and that even is i would go so far as to say as some people really don't like it i've seen it turn up on worst games on the gamecube list which i personally don't agree with at all but hmm. Uh, it's an unusual game. It's Sega being experimental. Capcom. Capcom Sorry, being Capcom experimental. being experimental. It reminds me of a Sega game. I don't know why. Mm. Uh, yeah. And Space Channel 5. 
it's it's got some yeah, it's got some quirks, but it's a it's a game that is it's one of those distinctive games, singular games that is only available in one place on this one system. Yeah. And yeah. if you want to play Piano Three, you need a GameCube or a Wii. I think the problem with it is that it just feels like undercooked and unfinished. Yeah, it feels yeah. like they just had mm. to ship whatever they they had and and put it out. But in at its core, it's a very interesting sort of take on uh, the uh, yeah Dodon Patch like um, mm-hmm. chain chain scoring and chain killing enemies, yeah. but then in a third person corridor shooter type of uh, yeah setting. Yeah, and there's I think- a whiff of PNA three in Returnal. Correct. Um, there is a very a slight whiff of it in there. Completely agree. Once you get into the rhythm in, of Return, I haven't played it much, but what I came away from it going, that reminds me a little bit of PNO Three. Hundred percent agree. Yeah. yeah. The main difference again, the, is uh, that you can't move and shoot in PNO Three. <laughs> yeah. 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 Again, sort of that tie with uh, the Lord Butcher Bullet Hell, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we talked a little about Star Fox Adventures in our Star Fox Saga show. But again, I think it's worthy of mentioning again, just because it's such a, a kind of significant and some ways sad title on the GameCube. Yeah, yeah. I pl- I played a lot of this, uh, and I got pretty far on it. But then at one point, I just got completely bored with it as well. Like mm. uh, the the gameplay, it looked lovely, but the gameplay was just not grabbing me. That's exactly um, it. Yeah. I, yeah. I played through the entirety of it, um, but it was more of a I had used my very limited purchasing power power as a late teenager and i bought it so yeah. i was going to play through it no matter what and um and yeah so i it kind of was a begrudging experience by the end um, especially with uh my previous love for uh star fox 64 or lilat wars because i that that game to me is in such high esteem and then mm. to, to go to this afterwards was such a letdown personally it really wants to. It really wants to be Zelda Star Fox Adventures, but then it's a completely sort of dumbed down version of Zelda. And it was a completely different game that was reskinned to be Star Fox. So that's yeah, correct. Right? Yeah, Dinosaur Planet, Planet, yeah. Yeah. Dinosaur which came Planet. out Thank recently. Thank you, Dinosaur Planet. Well, yeah. came out yeah, kind right. of yeah. was yes. Darren's had a go at Dinosaur Planet, which would that's have yeah, been an yeah, N sixty four game. That's right. Yeah, I've played the leaked version of Dinosaur Planet, and it is just as limp as Star Fox Adventures. Mm. The only thing yeah. Star Fox, or SFA, as the cool kids call it, is uh, is that it's got a really, really nice aesthetic kind of polish to it. It looks really nice. It sounds nice. A typical Rare game, you know, well, like a typical mm. late Rare game yeah. in that it looks better than it actually is. And uh, right. yep. yeah. I think that's, this is the epitome of what Rare were to be. It's like, well, you know, they made some great games afterwards, but at this time in their life, mm. it was like, they made games that looked amazing, but I think a lot of their like actual designers and stuff were were struggling. And I think uh, Star Fox Adventures is the kind of the epitome of that. Yeah, Treasure made a game for Nintendo using their Wario character, as they sometimes do. They put out a weird random Wario game. Uh, this is <laughs> yeah. a 3D platformer. Uh, I'm still absolutely fascinated by it, even though I've never pl- properly played it. But I'm tempted to have it on it's our good. list one day. It's got the best pause screen music ever. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> it's really good. Um, yeah. I never, I never got more than I think half an hour or an hour into this game, but it's a curious thing, that's for sure. Have a rotten day. <laughs> yeah, have a rotten day. That's what he says. Mm, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's a uh, yeah. It it's not your typical. I mean, it's a treasure game, so it's not typical yeah. whatsoever. Of course, it's not your typical three D platform. No, it's almost. 
it's more beat em up like you know yeah. you, you whack a whole bunch of, bunch of silly creatures over the head and like power bomb them and, and spinning pile drive them into the ground and toss them toss them around if and then it's interrupted by sort of these 3d puzzle room sort of sections mm. that you uh you have to solve so it's very weird if we all live long enough we'll do our weird wario games series of <laughs> podcasts <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, I've never played these, but uh, Baton or Baton Kaitos, the Eternal Wings yeah. and the Lost Ocean and uh, Origins games were kind of cult JRPG-ish. Yeah, I really wanted these to be like the Final Fantasy on mm. the Nintendo platform type of thing. I never quite got into them. I it's I did played a lot of them. Um, same way I played a lot of Quest sixty four, and like oh. I was looking for that <laughs> that RPG experience, yeah. you know. But yeah. it just wasn't there. It just okay. um, a lot of people do really like them, though. So um, no, I ended but the, up. But the is legit if you like that sort of game. Yeah, I yeah. I I just it wasn't necessarily for me. I ended up I ended up kind of sliding more to the PS two. Uh, Dark Cloud, like the Atlas kind of mm. level five things that were going on over there. But um, but yeah, the series certainly does have its fans. Yeah, I um. I think I yeah I had the first one and uh, played it for a bit, but uh, when it came time to call up a little bit of my collection, it was one of those games. Yeah, I right. don't really see myself playing this all the way right. through. Yeah. So I sold yep. it off to buy some new shiny things. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, I remember that it has had very nice sort of pre-rendered uh, backdrops uh, that were animated quite uh, lushly and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Harvest Moon, A Wonderful Life, also came out on PS2 and has since reappeared on other platforms. But it was uh, it was a, a, a kind of uh, it was taking Harvest Moon out of the sort of either you know, top down or isometric, pure kind of well, no, I don't know, yeah, strategy sim RPG into a more of a full 3D open world kind of uh, scenario and uh, got great reviews. We mentioned Pac-Man Versus. Thankfully, it did uh, eventually arrive. There are other ways to play it, but yeah, this was uh, this was a. Was it a standalone release? Didn't no, it come with uh, with that racing game by Namco. It depended how you bought it. So I bought it on a player's choice re-release of Pac-Man World Two from America. Oh wow! Yeah, but yes, it was also weirdly boxed in with yeah a racing game, which I can't remember the name of. Uh, oh. Oh, is that cartoony looking one? Like, no, no, it's it's something Rich Racer related. Uh, R Racing Revolution. That's R Racing. Like that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Anyway, uh, yeah. uh, but yes, this was Nintendo and Namco teaming up with a Charles Martinet commentary, <laughs> making uh, yeah. making a hilarious uh, asymmetrical multiplayer game. Which, yeah, thankfully, is is you can play it on other things, and you don't need GameCube. Oh. Uh, yeah. wires now uh, GBA oh, wires. Oh, almost kind of the uh, inspiration for Luigi's Ghost Mansion in Nintendo Land right probably yeah. oh absolutely yeah 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 there was a lot of um, oh. Pac-Man verses in Luigi's Mansion on Nintendo Land you're yeah. right hmm. yeah mentioned Mr. Driller Drill Land thankfully again has recently come in very fine form to uh, other at least one other platform I think it might be Switch exclusive not sure it's come out on the other platforms. Uh, Battalion Wars. That's a. I had this as an well. Interesting one. Go for it. Yeah. Um, I think this was uh, this was done by uh, by Kuju, right? Yeah. I used to work did there. you did you do testing uh, on this on uh, the second there? one? Yeah, Battalion Wars two. Second one. Yeah. Yeah, Battalion Wars um, the first and the second one both kind of uh, I, I really liked them, but uh, both really frustrated me to no ends when you got into missions 
where uh, you had to protect like uh, allied soldiers yeah. who were just completely <laughs> suicidal. Yeah. They were completely suicidal and hurling themselves into battle and getting them, getting themselves killed before you could reach them and uh, do any decent. Yeah. So both of them really frustrated me in the end. But I really like the idea of them. It's like it's like a military Pikmin thing. You know, you're on the field, you're controlling your character, you can. S- switch and jump between different characters on the battlefield and there's a rock paper scissors thing to it all you know yeah Uh, really fun really bouncy really cool graphics and it plays very well but yeah a little bit frustrating yeah for a real time take on the advanced wars and famicom wars series you know i thought it was a decent it was a decent job you know like um yeah the the, the second one in particular they they struck gold with the name because it's B W I I, which is we, right? B we. They did. They did yeah. That's classic. <laughs> yeah, I like yeah. Battalion Wars one and two. They just the missions go on for too long, and they are a bit unfair at times. But yeah, yeah. A, a decent game. Billy Hatcher and the Giant Egg again, another yes. game, cult classic, maybe, maybe not. Mario yeah. Killer. Uh, so Mario, Sonic, take him down. <laughs> Sonic <Billy> Team <laughs> making a game exclusively not on a Sega system, only for a GameCube system. Somehow seemed to fit the format perfectly, uh, but I heard it was a bit frustrating to play. Is that true? Yes. Yeah, I wanted this to be the next, like, um, like the glorious era of 3D platformer, right. you know, and <laughs> um, and I found I found that for myself, again, on a non-Nintendo platform in Jack and Dexter uh, over on the PS2, yep. and, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it was, I spent a lot of time with Billy Hatcher. It's fine. Um, I, 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 it's akin to those late era... Um, 3D platformers on the N64, just kind of with a fresh coat of paint. It reminds me a lot of Rocket Robot on Wheels, a oh, game I spent a lot of time with. Yeah, um, yeah, fun, fun game, but it just you know, it, it just kind of doing what you've already done. Yeah, it's a little bit unpolished, like a lot of Sonic Team stuff. Uh, Camera issues, but I, I, I do, I do like that that it has this unique twist of you having to roll these giant Exera yeah. along and the physics that come with it. Uh, I like this absolute silly quirkiness of it. And the uh, very silly songs that are uh, and a very silly music that is in there. Just the, the character is really dumb as well, which I enjoy with this uh, chicken costume. Mm-hmm. Doshin the Giant. Now, I've seen Nintendo Life kind of riffing on the existence of Doshin the Giant in recent times. I think it's out of genuine affection, but there's also some kind of Mickey taking going on. <laughs> Darren, you, you, you said this name with an interesting tone of voice earlier. Oh, Doshin the Giant, man. It's like the most trippy, hippie version of black and white in the world ever, right? It's like okay. what Peter Molyneux did, but completely off. It's nut. Have you, have you ever played Doshin the Giant? No, no, sadly it's not. It's really, he's got a little, really good. He's got a little outy belly button. That's the main thing I know about him. <laughs> and then once you get like, once you do loads of evil deeds, because it's like, you know, it's good and bad, you can turn into Jashin and it's like a big red version. You can go around stomping on all the villages ah, and stuff. Like black and it white. really is like a god game, sort of, you know, that kind of, it is very similar to black and white, other than it not being a giant cow or a horse or whatever. It's a, <laughs> it's a big yellow Play-Doh man who, like, yeah. does a, like a, he's got his hands and they go wobbly like a, like a shaman dancing sort of thing. And you can raise and you can deform the terrain, uh, terraform and, it, and- I guess. Yeah, and and his hair. Say something about his hair. He's <laughs> got, got lovely hair. It's great. It, it, like growing up in like eighties and watching TV in England, stuff like Trapdoor and mm. kind of like play claymation, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Play-Doh looking characters. Yeah. Dosh and the Giant fits right in. If if he bowled into an episode of Stop It Inside the Up, he wouldn't have been out of place. So 
Actually, the main designer behind it was uh, one of the Argonaut people, wasn't it? It was a. Uh, it sounds right. Those Br- British guys. Oh, yeah. yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. There is a very strange Britishness to it all, mm. and in a very strange way. Like, oh, I, I, I might be imagining it, but at some point, it, it feels like you've taken LSD. Not that I know what that looks like, but I've seen it represented in video games before. Yeah, it is so. <laughs> trippy dippy it is unbelievable and it's, it's so chill it doesn't care if you're good or bad or if you do good or this just just enjoy it and sometimes you don't enjoy it but that's fine and uh it is one of the most relaxed games ever and it's again it's one of those if you want to play dust in the giant you gotta have a gamecube or a wii mm. on which to play it there is no other there's no sequels there's no follow-ups there's no remasters it there, there it is it's a it's a are we allowed to say dolphin emulator is that okay i guess we can say that we can say that yes. <laughs> legally if you want to play dust of the giant uh yeah cubivore is there anything else to say on cubivore not really i, I just I, I just remember it looking very very strange like kind of like along the same lines as chibi robo and like what is going on but chibi robo yeah. there is a bit more cohesion than cubivore but cubivore is a, a bizarre beast indeed yeah and it looks like an n64 game as well yeah did it start life on the n64 it always made me think of space station silicon valley but i don't know if there's any mm. yeah yeah right. mm. uh pokemon box and pokemon channel they're kind of like very soft you know what pokemon home is now for pokemon yes. players. it's like that the end but on a disc <laughs> but on a disc yeah i just thought it was worth mentioning because they're very strange things to have on a game disc and then go here's some software for your pokemon you could send right, off cool. a pokemon box couldn't you but didn't they didn't they send it to you through the post is that right there is something like that yeah because i don't it's you didn't something. go into a shop and buy it i don't think uh, I, I think maybe you could Maybe you could. The, the Ruby and Sapphire edition. Because I remember called, yeah. getting the Nintendo collect, uh, the Zelda collection sent to me, and I remember. Yeah, I remember, that's how I got that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think I remember being sent something Pokemon related. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> vague, vague re- recollection. Uh, pinball. This is another multi-format one. Pinball. Uh, pit. Pinball. <laughs> Pitfall. The Lost Expedition. So uh, another sort of attempt at modernizing David Crane's old. VCS uh, adventuring title? Uh, a, a very good, at the time, 3D platformer. Okay. And I liked it on the GameCube. Yeah. Yeah. Same goes for um, well, Metal Arms Glitching the System, which is next, isn't a, isn't a platformer. Yeah. But a little metal robot running around on a GameCube seems to fit well for me. So I enjoyed that one I, there. Yeah, I played that one on the Xbox. I really have fondness for that game. That is a good game. Yeah. Is that like similar to Rocket Robot on Wheels? No, nah. it's it's kind of, it's, it's more, more like a there's more shooting in yeah, it. Yeah, more right? like a like ratchet and clank ratchet and almost clank. like yeah. 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 Now after disappointing Bomberman games on the N64, they at least <laughs> tried to there was some there were some Bomberman games on the Cube which at least sort of tried to replicate the fun of the uh, the old SNES and PC engine type uh 2D Bombermans. There's one called Bomberman Jetters. Which, yeah. uh, which I think is in, uh, possibly import only because that's one that my friend Pete has that I don't think got released over in in the UK or maybe in Europe. But uh, Bomberman Generation was around the same time, maybe just before. Yeah, yeah. I've Bomberman been... Generation is good. 
Yeah, I think we preferred the sequel for some unknown reason for Generation 2. This but, gets um, wheeled we out played. for me in multiplayer, yeah, yeah. which is a good sign 20 years on, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The single the single player is all right. Bomberman Generation is better, I think, than the N64 yes. uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. single player Bomberman games. And the multiplayer is uh, yeah, back in old form again. Mm-hmm. And we got a lot of time out of this one, uh, especially uh, my wife was a real fan of the uh, coin battle uh, in it, the yes. coin battle mode where you it. can yeah. keep playing until the end and you basically... You you carry around loads of coins that you snatch up, and you know the player with the most coins at the end of the of the fight wins, of course. But it's uh, it gets real tense near the end end because you're running around with uh, wads of coins uh, loaded up, and then you know one wrong explosion sends all the coins flying across the map, and everybody scrambling in a hurry to to scoop them up. Um, yeah, screams of uh, anguish and terror right. and excitement and elation. When that happened, lots of uh, crazy nights of uh, Bomberman, especially with the uh, coin and reverse battle modes in this one. Yeah, we could do a year-long Bomberman-only volume of Kane and <laughs> and lose all our listeners. <laughs> but that's not the point. Yeah, I remember the name. I don't know what it is. Freak Style. Mm. EA Bigs Freak Style. EA Big. A, someone who was yearning for another Excite Bike on my GameCube. Ah. This was probably the closest. Oh, okay. That, that came to it. It's, I'm looking at it now. I would have forgot about this completely. Yeah. It's really, really fun. Like, I can't... The trick system and the way it feeds into the, the boost system, it is kind of like SSX on a bike. It's EA Redwood oh. Shores, right? So they became visceral. They became... Ah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh. There's a good style to it. You know, pardon the pun. But yeah, there's um, there's a good attitude to that game and it plays... It played really well. So it was better than uh, BMX Trapelix. <laughs> <laughs> is anything better than that's what you're after that's impossible another game that I think is uh, here on the GameCube and nowhere else and was talked up in previews and talked down yeah. in reviews <laughs> was the yeah. game yeah. was the game guy yeah that game it's it's I I threw it on here at the end because I, it was one of those games that it's like I think shout. the idea is so sound you know, I mean, the idea mm. of that and like seeing Inception. the preview coverage just like you can take over anything. You're a spirit. You can possess people, objects. It, it just and you're kind of coming off the heels of eternal darkness where you're kind of trying to think of like what different ways is, you know, are they going to use some of the supernatural? And and I know they weren't the same developers, but at the time, that was how my brain worked. I'm like, oh, yeah. how, what's the next step in this? You know, and and then it came out. It really did fall flat. But it but it, there was a lot of hype and a lot of good ideas there. It just wasn't really. Yeah. Um, it didn't really come together. Yeah. And it was a bit rickety, you know, but uh, underdeveloped as well. Yeah. And I remember just this time period, like, you had to have, like, killer app uh, FPSs on your yeah, system. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. And this was, what, this was kind of built as the new, the new big thing. Yeah. yeah. It was not. Yeah. Uh, and funnily enough, the developer, Space. They'll get a few more mentions in the upcoming turkeys section. <laughs> once, just once, we've uh, covered off uh, Lost Kingdoms two from uh, from mm. from from software. Yeah, from yeah. from. I, I didn't know it's from from, but um, this game had a lot of affection for in the shop. Whenever it was on the shelf, ah, oh, there's that there's that card based RPG yeah. thing, and I was like, I don't know what this is at all, no. but I just remember a lot of people <laughs> looking at it fondly and saying good things about it. So I thought I'd chuck on it real quick. Yeah, it's not a uh, it's not a, uh, a, a temporarily gone blank. Mits, mits, 
you know, the main guy. Miyazaki. Miyazaki, Miyazaki. thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not a Miyazaki game, but it's a FromSoft game. So, yeah. Okay, so yes, Notorious Turkeys. These are games that repeatedly crop up on Worst of the GameCube lists. I am happy to say I've never played any of these. If you have, do scream about the horror. I'm guessing... Only one. Oh, well, that's one more than I was anticipating. But uh, speaking of N-Space, the developer of Geist, they were also responsible for Mary-Kate and Ashley Sweet 16, Licensed to Drive. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, that was not aimed at uh, at any of us in particular. There were a raft because of the financial, commercial success and relative low cost of development. There were a raft of Mario Party clones during this time, including such delights as Shrek Super Party, Nickelodeon Party Blast and Monsters Inc. Scream Arena, I think was possibly one in that genre as well. Could be wrong about that. Managed to avoid all of those folks. Yes. Okay. Batman Dark Tomorrow, not to be confused with that other Batman game that was a launch game. No Mega Batman fans. Uh, no. Okay. MC Grooves Dance Craze. That's Grooves G R O O V Z. I guess <laughs> MC Grooves is a real person as well. Or no, I, I don't think oh, so. Okay. Uh, a Dance Dance Revolution. Could you get? Could you get a mat? I guess. I don't know. Probably. There there was a, a Mario Dance Dance Revolution. Of course there was. Very good point. Was that on the cube? Yeah, that was on the cube. Right. Yeah, it sure was. There we go. The aforementioned Universal Studios theme park adventure. Charlie's Angels, which is, I think, possibly one of the lowest ranked games on game rankings of all formats of all time. It's one of those games that I always say that if I ever get my hands on, I'm going to have to buy just because I've heard so many terrible mm. things, but Stream never touched it. it. Stream yeah. it. Uh, Aquaman, Battle for Atlantis. So long before Aquaman was kind of uh, re represented as uh, as a fit, hunky, um, you know, muscle, muscly man uh, and in a relatively uh, high profile movie series. Uh, Aquaman was in Battle for the Battle for Atlantis on the GameCube, and um, I didn't know this existed. But it came up on at least three or four of the worst GameCube game lists that I looked at. <laughs> Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was a license with the Tim Burton movie. Sonic Riders. Yeah, oh, this is the one I played. Okay, does it deserve its place have... in this turkey list, in your opinion? Oh yeah, for okay. sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to play it. It doesn't look half bad, but it feels like. You know, whatever buttons you press are completely disconnected from what's going oh, on. I love on the that in video it's games, like... don't you? <laughs> yeah. it's a, I, I had no idea how I was contra- controlling this thing or if I even was controlling what was going on on screen. It was very much, uh, it could have just as well have been some sort of, uh, yeah, maybe it would have been better as a VR, uh, non interactive um, sort of, uh, yeah, experience. Or a drinks coaster for a small glass. Exactly. Now, this sounds just as good. Disney Sports Skateboarding. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Now, the next one, again, to me, sounds like I can just imagine this being one of the worst games on the GameCube. Bad Boys <laughs> Miami Takedown. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think it was uh, Will Smith and uh, Martin Lawrence. 
uh, Bad Boys, right? Yeah. That's what I was going to ask if it was licensed oh, yeah. or not. I would assume yeah. it had to be. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know if they did and their I, own voice. I think I've seen somebody, I think I've seen somebody uh, play this through on YouTube. For uh, laughs. With comment, commentary for laughs. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure also these aren't real actors voicing sure. the characters. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty much just two random dudes trying to, to their best to sound like Will Smith and they Martin got a Lewis. guy named Will and a guy named Martin just come in and <laughs> yeah. I just need to find out who developed this oh Blitz Games there we go <laughs> uh, the Finding Nemo license game not up there with the Toy Story license game on the Mega Drive I guess uh, there was a entry into the Spyro the series that was not well liked by some called Enter the Dragonfly. I don't know if the GameCube yeah. version was particularly poor or it's just, you know, it was just a disappointing entry in the series, but it crops up. And finally, one of those, I, I assume, low budget efforts that uh, that I don't even remember seeing. I think it's a tie-in with a TV series, that we a reality series that we don't get we didn't get over here or certainly not on a yeah. prominent channel yeah. channel american chopper 2 full throttle well you, you guys aren't big american chopper fans um mm. <laughs> sorry Brian. no it's a it was a bad it was a bad reality show here apparently spawned a pretty bad video game i've, I've never played was Stephen j Cannell involved in any way Cannell. no um this is from that meme if you've probably seen in a long time of the two angry motorcycle men pointing at each other and then the one throws the chair at the end of the meme it's like <clears throat> 10 pictures long do you know what i'm talking about anyway uh, that's from american chopper uh, yeah let me explain a meme to you this that's exciting <laughs> podcasting <laughs> <laughs> i'm only interested in your american chopper brian yeah, exactly <laughs> yes very good uh-huh. um yeah I've, we'll, we'll talk about that later okay <laughs> uh and just to wrap up then uh have we missed anything have we is there a title that you have to talk about that we haven't talked about before or we haven't covered brian is this real <laughs> It is. We yeah. fact, in fact, we discussed it on the Slack channel, which is the reason that mm-hmm. I have it. Um, it was I'd never played it before until about six months ago. Swingers <laughs> Golf, yeah. Swingers with a Z. Oh, that yes, it it's is. Like, of course, it's like it's like it's like the it's the poor man's outlaw <laughs> golf, which is should, <laughs> that should be an insult. Wow. It should be yeah, an yeah. Insult. Outlaw golf is already terrible. <laughs> that yeah, I know. is the That's worst the, yeah. review um, of any <laughs> game I've ever. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not very. Oh, good, these but characters. It, but it was fun. These arts. Ooh. Oh boy. Um, the the reality is though is that we talked about a lot of games. I just I wanted to put Swingers Golf on there cuz it it is the most recent GameCube game I've purchased. Wait, wait, so. wait. Though. Weirdly, weirdly, weirdly. I'm yeah. looking at the the cover art and it's yeah. grotesque, right? Uh-huh. The game, I'm seeing screenshots of the game. It looks like a, a clap hands game. It looks like everybody's golf. It does. Yep. It really does, and it and it's definitely aping that entire style. Okay, um, it's trying to be that without being that, unfortunately. But the cover uh, was trying to sell it as Outlaw Golf, so it's yeah, kind of a massive disconnect. As, yeah, yeah. Right. oh yeah, I you know what I felt I felt um like I was scammed from the minute I turned the power button on Leon. Um, <laughs> How many dollars was, can we ask? Yeah, I, I believe I you. I believe I I paid with shipping eight dollars for oh, that Jesus. in the year the year of our Lord twenty twenty one. So. <laughs> Uh, at least one yeah, of one of somebody in your house is going without a Christmas present because of that. I hope you're proud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It should be me. It should be me. I should be the one going without. That, that's your Christmas present right there. Yeah, well, I deserved it. No, well, yeah. a lot of great games on the GameCube. We'll talk about them more in the summary. I'm sure. Okay. Uh, the one uh, the 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 follow up to Die Hard trilogy, the often uh, talked about 
PS1 and Saturn game that uh, there's a lot of fondness for. We often mm. get asked to uh, to review it. I don't think this was by the same developer or anything, but it no. but it had Die Hard in the name. This is Vendetta. Yeah. yeah, as someone who's you know longing for a Golden Eye game again and again and again, I was well interested in a first person shooter in the Die Hard franchise, and uh, I turned it on. And within like a minute, I turned it off again. So it's not it's not very favourite. It's not very special, but it's just like the hope and the promise was all there in the magazines. And then yeah, it did the... get a lot of it did get a lot of brief preview coverage, yeah. right? Yeah, it was yeah. all over it, big time. And uh, it it wasn't that good. It wasn't that bad, but it wasn't that good. Yeah. Also, the main character looks nothing like <laughs> yeah. Bruce Willis. Yeah, and <laughs> absolutely like nothing. Him, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mikhail, uh, Odama, we sort of mentioned, but I think, yes, I would actually like you to explain a quick bit more what Odama was and why it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Odama, I think, was mentioned in the correspondence, right? But we didn't really touch on it. So that's why I felt like I had to throw it in there. It's absolutely nuts. (laughs) Yeah, I've played it. Yeah, It's a freaking uh, real-time strategy game set in feudal Japan in which the aim is to send a bunch of half-naked guys across the field carrying a massive bell across the border yep. of the other uh, party. Yep. But the whole battlefield is a, is a pinball Correct. table. And there's Oops. this gigantic Odama <laughs> ball, the secret weapon, which is like a, a massive stone ball, which is the pinball that you flipper across the screen, yeah. doing your best not to aim them over your own troops who have to protect the, ball, the, the bell guys. Uh, hitting all sorts of objectives like opening some floodgates to sp- to to or, or closing some floodgates so that your army and the bell guys can cross. Uh, you know, trying to get new people uh, on the field, like deploy new troops. Uh, so that's all really nuts by itself already. Yeah. But at the same time, there's a mic <laughs> that you attach on top of the controller in which you have to shout commands to your to your troops on the field, like flank left flank right push forward push forward no 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 and you're sitting there like a mad person playing an absolutely (laughs) mad game uh it's super hard even you know Mm. i never i managed to get into the sixth or seventh stage or something uh into it and then got absolutely washed but yeah it's 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 an experience all all right and it's made by the same guy who made uh, seaman on the dream yes uh youth saito yeah uh you know, who also made one of the most bizarre Dreamcast games out there. So also directed by uh, Keiji Akiyasu, who was also a Sega guy, wasn't he? Um, yeah. Virtual Fighter, yeah. Dynamite Ducks, Shenmue, things like that. Yeah, 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 exactly. And they did this as a second in a second party construction for Nintendo. Yeah, yeah. genuinely, like there are, there aren't that many games you can genuinely, legitimately describe as unique. Yeah, right. yeah. I think Adama is one. A military pinball real-time strategy game with voice controls. Yeah, is that? Uh, can anyone yeah. else got a list of games in that genre? <laughs> yeah. And your other pick is uh, the cover is confusing because it look unless you recognise the faces, which I don't because I'm not a wrestling person. It looks yeah. like it's a Bond game or something. Uh, all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is there's one of the uh, WWE divas on there. Yeah. So so like oh, I can female wrestlers. I mean, do we? Do you need the wrestling person to tell you who these people are? Or do we really not care that? The much? guy on the left looks familiar. Yeah. All right. It's Tori Wilson. On the right, we have um, 
James Bradshaw Layfield. And then on the left, we have what appears to be a young John Cena. That's what I, I thought. That's what yeah, I thought yeah. it was. Yeah. Yes. So this is WWE Day of Reckoning 2 by you. Exactly. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's Stacy Keebler in the middle. I'm sorry. That, I, oh, that, Jesus, that's Frank. What? I yeah. know. I kick myself out. I'm no longer a wrestler. <laughs> <Leave it. laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, the uh, N64 was uh, maybe the platform for uh, some good old wrestling games. Yes, it was. Some good, good old fa- favorite uh, four-player brawl, uh, you know, uh, ringside brawling. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the uh, GameCube had less of that. But uh, WWE Day of Reckoning... Two has the best reputation of the wrestling games on the uh, on the GameCube. Uh, I've got it, and I didn't see it mentioned anywhere else, so I thought I'd bring it up here, especially since in our uh, green room uh, on our Slack we had some chat about wrestling yes. games recently. <laughs> yeah, I know you've yeah, got that. It's a it's a good mention. So yeah, I played a bit of it. I played the career mode, which is quite uh, extensive, uh, but I hadn't I hadn't tested out the uh, the multiplayer yet on it. I don't think I really have any any games to add. As I say, the only import game that I've I've still got is that Nintendo Puzzle Collection, which is uh, which I can't even remember all three games that are on it. But one of them is Panel Upon. One of them is Yoshi's Cookie. I think. Uh, but the one, the other game that I just did quickly want to mention, I've only pl- ever played it a handful of times. It was originally Japan only, and then did get translated. In Japan, it's called uh, Kero Kero something, which is an onomatopoeia for a frog. It became known as Ribbit King in the West. And uh, Brian, you should seek this one out, by the way. Okay. It's a... It right let me just... Uh, I'll get, just get a description up to help me because it's kind of a hard thing to describe. Uh, a 2003 sports video game developed by Infinity and Jamsworks, pu- published by Bandai uh, for Cube and PS2. The game is based on the frictional sport of Frolf, which is a golf-like <laughs> game that is played with frogs. Oh, my gosh. Listen, listen. The frogs sit on catapults, which the player whacks with a hammer to send uh-huh. the frog flying into the air. Uh-huh. Okay. That's all, all right, you need man. to know. Yeah. We used to have a game like that at, at carnivals here in the yeah. States where you'd have a rubber mallet and you'd hit mm-hmm. the frog and you had to get to land on, like, a plate or something. Yeah, I've yeah, done that. Definitely yeah. Done Were those life, life frogs? Or am I thinking too? <laughs> only in am the I deep thinking south. too barbaric? Yeah, only, yeah, am I yeah, thinking yeah, too barbaric of the yeah. US? Depends. <laughs> depends on what type of carnival you were at, Michael. Yes, but <laughs> characters include Scooter or Puri Puri, Pickwick or Basketo Kun, Sluggy or Nurupon, Pan Pan or Pepe, Princess Tippy, Daruhime, Lunk or Goragonzora, which is of course Gorgonzola. Gorgonzola. Yeah. <laughs> Pepe, Pape or Papu, Sir Waddlelot or Penguin Robo, Robo Penguin. Sparky and Woosh, Pochi and Tama, Cosmo, oh, Adamuski, Gumbagoo, Gashapon Muku, King Hoppity Hippity Hop, who is Osama, <laughs> and Captain Oinka, who is Buchin. <laughs> Brian, how come um, you haven't got this game? I, the, unfortunately, I see how much it costs on eBay, but oh, we're going to have to man. go ahead and down some nefarious routes here. I don't know if I can go much longer without playing Rivet King. <laughs> Rivet King. Uh, I would say, ah, looks awesome. on a serious note, the gameplay is uh, it's, uh, interesting but flawed, but it is funny, and the whole experience will make you laugh and smile. So there is that. Uh, is that? Yeah, I think that, that'll, that'll do. Maybe. Maybe we should also mention, uh, as a 
fun import game but uh, that i that i still want to get but don't have that's why i didn't mention it but uh, kururin squash the sequel to kuru kuru kururin on that's the, uh, another GBA. one my friend pete yeah. has yeah along with along yeah. with all these other curios and also yeah. before we finally wrap up i just have to go back to odama briefly because it wasn't <laughs> we didn't mention the fact that when the game debuted at e3 in 2004 that version of the game used DK bongos as well, which allowed a second player <laughs> to raise troop morale and distract enemy troops by repeatedly beating the drums. Oh, I, I wish I they took it out. It. I feel shortchanged. They took it out of the game. I can't <laughs> believe why. Why would maybe it messed up with the mic? It messed uh, that up is with the almost mic certainly the correct answer. <laughs> That's why you're now a game developer. <laughs> Can we have micro microphone and bongo controls in your game, please, Mikhail? I'd love it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just out of in Kurt, Kurt, let's let's uh, let's answer this with a PR like answer. This is not currency. <laughs> this is not currently planned or in the works. <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely now happening. <laughs> did, you, did, you see, did you see that guy on YouTube beat Shieldmade DX with a Seaman <laughs> microphone? <laughs> yeah. Did you know they, the developers coded in a message for anyone who would actually do that? Yeah. <laughs> the final ever GameCube release came in the year that the machine was discontinued in 2007. Of course, it was Madden NFL 08. <laughs> so... For us to summarize then our feelings of the GameCube, I'll go first, not because I'm especially negative on the GameCube, just because maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm not the most passionate GameCube fan, but I think it's worth saying that I still have my GameCube sitting here behind me with the Game Boy player attached with a, a small but carefully curated set of games, minus a couple that I really should never have got rid of. I'm looking at UF0GX. Uh still feels like a fun time hooking up the GameCube uh, in an ideal world as I often say on these things and I know Mikhail would concur I wish I still kind of had a CRT TV for GameCube fun because uh, yeah those games were designed to be displayed on that kind of uh, screen but um, but you know that can be that can be addressed I can still play those games uh, via the Wii via uh the component cable as well, which is a nice option. And uh, yeah, there's just that small little set of games, which uh, which I will still return to, despite the recent release of the Monkey Ball Collection, which, uh, which has a few issues. It's not bad, but it has a few issues. Uh, I will always return to Super Monkey Balls 1 and 2 on the GameCube, and particularly the WarioWare Party game that I uh, talked so much about in our WarioWare show, uh, and and yeah, th th as as t often tends to happen, as some of these games have been re-released on other formats and kind of um, you know modernized or remastered, re-released, whatever else, there become slightly fewer reasons for me to ever fire up the GameCube. But I keep it. I keep the freeloader. I keep my controllers. Uh, keep the Game Boy Player. And uh, yeah, uh, long. I, I I suspect it feels like it's a beautifully hardy machine now i know that there are some uh, sort of processes that you need to go to go through as a collector of old hardware to make sure that your machines keep working forever uh, which i may look into with the gamecube but for now i still feel like i'm i'm confident every time i hook it up it's going to it's going to turn on and uh, and particularly in multiplayer i'm going to have a good time with it so yeah uh, it's been really fun to go 
think about it again. And uh, and I love the fact it's still my only purple console, right? <laughs> it's worth something. Uh, Brian. Uh, yeah, it's it's probably the um, console from that era that I go back and play the most. Um, and I, I still have all my old consoles of because I'm a maniac and I keep them ev- everything. But um, I I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the catalogs from the PlayStation Two and the Xbox are a little bit more readily accessible other places. Um. And and a lot of those titles have either been remastered or re-released, along with some of the GameCube titles too. But there, I don't know there's something about the compact nature of it. It's it's not hard to keep set up at all times. You know, it doesn't take up a ton of space, and you know, and uh, I've got a kind of little corner for it where I where I keep it. And and talking about this and thinking about this podcast leading up to it, it just kind of getting nostalgic for the times that I played it. For thinking about those those nights spent drinking super cheap beer in college and playing Monkey Target until my eyes are going to fall out of my skull or or just, you know, um, Double Dash, which I was on the the, the Kanerans podcast for Double Dash. I still think it might be my favorite um, Mario Kart. Um, I know that that's not a popular opinion, but it had the all-cup mode, so you could play every track. Yeah, one that was amazing. Grand Prix, just a wonderful feature. I wish they'd bring that back. Yes. And, and, and and then Mario Golf Tool Tour, and a lot of my, my experiences are, are tied to playing with other people, and that's one of the fun things about the GameCube for me, is that that's, a, that's very much a console that I associate with playing with friends and and yeah and i and i just love that feeling and i think that's the reason i keep it hooked up even though um even if i didn't have a regular group that would play Tulsa tour i think that the gamecube would be one that i'd want to have around just to dip back in and, and kind of feel how that felt you know back when i first had it so yeah think about it fondly not the most robust catalog and obviously not the most successful for nintendo but it's certainly one that i look back on with with nothing but a smile on my face beautiful just for the sake of uh, ticking boxes, Doctor Mario is the third game on the Nintendo Puzzle Collection. Oh, uh, which I don't really like that much, to be honest. I've, yeah, I've, me either. I wish I liked it. Upon, though is yeah. it's legendary. I I I didn't know it was called that. I was I was uh, Tetris Attack, Tetris Attack and, yes. po- and, Sorry. and Pokemon Puzzle League, and then I learned mm. it in my later years. But man, what a game! Yeah, what a game. Mikhail, sum up your feelings about your your GameCube or cubes if you have more than one. Yeah, so I used to be this uh, one single console platform only kind of person. You know, I did some PC gaming on the side, uh, but um, and I I started my first console was an NES. Then I moved on to the Super Nintendo. Then I moved on to the N sixty four, which had a lot of um, very specific strengths. Or a f- maybe let's not say a lot, but a few very specific strengths, but also a lot of shortcomings as a a one console that would do everything for you. You know, coming off of the uh, Super Nintendo, and of course, there's a lot of were a lot of great games on the Mega Drive, uh, but you didn't feel like you were missing out on any specific gaming experiences with a Super Nintendo. Um, the N- Nintendo 64 though was uh, starved of great fighting games, for for example. Um, and I think that for me, the GameCube was the last Nintendo system that felt like you had a more or less complete console gaming experience with the library of titles on offer Mm. there, you know, the Wii was exactly the console that made me decide to go multi-platform because I thought like, yeah, you know. The Wii, I, I mean, the Wii was a, 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 an incredibly fun system for me, but yeah, I, I wasn't 
going to play the next Resident Evil game on it or the next Soul Calibur game or anything like that. So that that system specifically moved me towards a, a multi-platform lifestyle. Mm. And um, but yeah, the GameCube was sort of like really all-encompassing. And even though during its lifetime I started uh, becoming a, a professional game reviewer and uh, in the uh, at the uh, editorial base I was playing on PS2 and original Xbox as well. Uh, I felt like I, it it suited me just fine as a uh, single console to to game on, and apart from that, it just had absolutely amazing games for me, like Super Monkey Ball, like F Zero GX, like Beautiful Joe, just uh, and he, yeah, that came to the PS2, but the 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 definitive version was definitely the GameCube version for that. Um, yeah, just so much fun, and like like Brian said, uh, a a lot of you know, throughout its lifespan, a lot of multiplayer nights still. Uh, it was the system also that I enjoyed playing with my wife on. Like, uh, we, we played a bunch of um, Super Buster Move All-Stars with oh, it, yeah. uh, on it as yes. well. Yeah. Um, yeah, all around really good times. Puyo, and Puyo, fever. Like, Puyo Pop Fever. Puyo Pop Fever mm. was on there as well. I had that as well. Um, and just... It's funny because my kids still love the GameCube, you know? It's one of the older consoles of mine that they like to turn mm-hmm. on and, and play games on. Uh, so it's it's also a system that I never really stopped playing on, like you guys have hinted on as well. Like, there are just certain games that I'll always return to that are, that are always fun fun to play. So it's a, it's a mainstay for me. And if you look at the minor success that it had or the, it, it could be considered a commercial failure right like uh i even some nintendo people like miyamoto were quoted as saying that they actually regretted after you know in hindsight putting out the gamecube and not moving on to something like the wii immediately like something that went counter instead of trying to fit in with the rest of uh uh the rest of the gaming industry something more uh disruptive um it's telling that you go back, you go where you visit a lot of retro gaming conventions, for example, uh, and you go through a lot of piles of games. It's the GameCube games that often fetch the highest prices and that seem seem the most coveted. So, in in hindsight, it has become the system that of that generation that people like to collect most mm. for. You know, PS2 and Xbox games are a lot cheaper in uh, in general to to, to pick up. So it's it's really has only sort of risen in esteem and value over time, which was which I always find a very interesting thing to see. Yeah, almost an, the most achievable collection as well. It's six hundred and fifty titles, although it's still quite a few. Yeah, if you're that type of person who wants to go for a complete uh, yeah, if you want to own which, yeah. Charlie's Angels and uh, Mary Kate and Ashley yeah. Sweet Sixteen License to Drive, more power to you. Exactly. Yeah, a, a wonderful system that is very dear to my heart which is why i really wanted to be on this uh, show beautiful we're glad you made it let's finish up with darren gargetts yeah i mean the gamecube has super monkey ball i don't know if you've mentioned it before <laughs> or if you've heard of it but it's really good uh, it's a game yeah. I knew no other systems about. have it no other systems basically got it. <laughs> well the best one is on the gamecube in my opinion but yeah I never knew anything about Monkey Ball until I saw it, and it was love at first sight, and I've kept my GameCube because of it. And, you know, arguably the the GameCube has the series, you know, your your favourite Nintendo series, it has its high points, 
in my opinion, apart from Mario, which is a shame. Um, but, you know, F-Zero, there's Pikmin. There's all the, the, there's so many high notes on the GameCube and they're not getting re-released onto modern Nintendo platforms as of yet. And I can't really see it happening. So there is there is very good reason to check out the library on the GameCube. It's a cute little dinky box. And uh, I think Nintendo were, you know, bang on the money. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're still releasing kind of purplish, you know, peripherals now i'm sure you can get some purple you know gamecube looking um you know uh joy cons that's the word i'm looking mm. for yeah so you know I, I think there's a lot to love about the gamecube um yeah it's just a, it's very of its time you know that kind of that marketing campaign where you saw the jet ski in the little yes. perspexy box with the destination <laughs> unknown music in the background like i i was so in that kind of pool of nintendo-ness mm. um but in a, in a strange way it was the first time i kind of went multi-platform in terms of me having the money to do so um you know because on during the n64 i only had money for one console because you know games that they cost money on apparently and so yeah uh, having a gamecube i also had the xbox and the ps2 but for me personally i've kind of got this attachment to um the gamecube more than those other two black boxes of boring with my nice purple gamecube and it's mainly down it's a super <laughs> baby monkey toy it, a super monkey ball yes come on <laughs> that's all we need to say uh thank you it remains for me leon to thank brian or brain darren and mikhil as well as editor jay and our correspondents for your memories and opinions and recollections and to all of you for listening if you've enjoyed this podcast, please do consider our $2 a month minimum Patreon, patreon.com slash rinse. And you know what? The next one of these will already be available to you. The next format special. We don't even know which format it covers, but it'll be great anyway. Until that show or until the regular show, whenever you choose to join us again, we'll see you next time.